We're going where no man has gone before. Whoosh! My lyrics are better than jeans. He had some guff about a Star Wars love about mine. Mealy says Trek. Captain's log, star date unknown. I command an enterprise where assassination of superiors is a common means of advancing in rank. <laughs> You must know what you're doing. Let me go! Spock! Get these men off me! Captain! What are you saying, Spock? What are you saying, Spock? You traitorous. <laughs> All right, Spock. Whatever your game is, I'll play it. <laughs> Proceed against the Halkins as the new captain of the Enterprise. Hello, everyone out there in listening world. Welcome to another episode of Third Degree Burn. We are here to go into the mirror universe with Brian. Hey, how's it going? Kirk. Good morning. Tim. Hello. Hello, and myself, David. And John. And John. And John. Hey, hey, everyone. I didn't want to... Shh, quiet. We don't know if John's really John. Oh, that's right. Does he have a beard? (laughs) (laughs) Wait, I've got a beard. Am I the mirror me? (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, think of... Well, yeah, I mean, because even Bad Kirk has a mirror Kirk, so everybody's... Hey, Well, I resemble that remark. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, when I, yeah, when we refer to Mirror Kirk, we have to realize we're talking about the story and not Kirk. So That's fine. We are here today, uh, in, all, in all joking aside, and, and no, I wasn't going to forget John. But yes, that's a joke because the Mirror hey, what's, Universe... What's your li- name? You didn't introduce yourself. I did. I said, I'm David. Oh, okay. I didn't hear it. I'll shut up now. <laughs> we're here to uh, to visit the Mirror Universe in Star Trek. Uh, we're going to be talking about a, uh, a new Visions book that uh, John Byrne published uh, for uh, several years that uh, pulled together uh, different images and elements from stories across the Star Trek universe to, to bring us new Trek. We had previously covered the annual that introduced uh, readers to uh, Burns' idea of new visions, which uh, was uh, actually just popped up in a regular annual for the uh, Star Trek book at the time. And people loved it so much that uh, IDW uh, worked with Byrne to create this series, and we got basically new episodes of Star Trek, the original series, for a couple of years, uh, published bi-monthly. And, uh, you know, like I said, span the, the gambit of, of uh, different touch points across uh, the original series. And as I understand it, he's still got something in the tank uh, to work on that he's uh, planning on doing some more uh, as some specials. So there'll be like uh, movie versions, so to speak. 
Nice. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Be, and, yeah. If, you know, if you guys aren't familiar with the media, what they used to refer to this stuff as is Fometti. Yep. And really? Fometti's an, an, yeah, Fometti's an Italian word for uh, little puffs of smoke. I guess <sighs> talking about the word balloons going onto the pictures. Oh, that's but, cool. Yeah. And so, um, you know, Byrne, of course, is, is one of those people who's got an OCD for the original series of Star Trek. And uh, pretty much a photographic memory of every episode. So he has been able to manipulate photos and uh, George Lucas them, as I would say, to uh, to make these these books so that he's created brand new episodes in the original right. series style. Well, this and, is uh, you just mean like awesome. making Guido shoot first? first <laughs> <laughs> no, no, he's not. He's not changing the oh, original okay. series. Um, good, good. Okay. Well, this, this is also very similar to this series of books called Star Trek Photo Novels that came out in the seventies, where they would take ex- yes. actual episodes and take film clips, and they'd give them word balloons. Uh, yep. You know, I think that I don't know if that ran. I don't know, fifteen, sixteen, maybe. I don't know. Those are you can still find those relatively cheap at uh, uh, used bookstores. Those are really? fun. You can. I, I I've not been able to find those uh, at the at the used bookstores here. I just remember I was able to re- read them when I was younger in the library. They had the Wrath of Khan at, uh, at our, our high school library. Well, yeah, they did the film. Yeah, what's funny is the Wrath of Khan's in black and white. Yeah. And the uh, Star Trek, the motion picture's in color. And then all the others are in color, too. But um, mm. I've never picked some up in Denton. Um, you can get them, you know, they're probably 5 $6 a piece, depending on um, what condition they're in. Yeah, but, but they were not... They were not done by people that do comics really. no no they were um, just they, they were they were not skillfully put together no. and the word balloons were all blocky it um what was it? there was a comparison something that somebody made a comparison to on burns website and i'm blanking on it all of a sudden but the uh like, the blocky like, word like powerpoint text boxes yeah it it, <laughs> it it wasn't and 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 the lettering was more uh almost computerized which well, is funny since those were done in the 70s that and 80s. the only way you could own, you know, other than have a rerun, you could own, this is before the days of DVD VCR VHS. And, yeah, you had yeah. to, you know, you had, if you wanted to own something, you either had to, if you wanted to revisit, either you caught the rerun, you read a photo novel, or you read uh, James Blish's novelizations. Yeah. Um, See, now you just hit my Wayback Machine, and I remember <laughs> the first time that uh, someone I knew had The Wrath of Khan on home video. And it wasn't a VHS. It wasn't beta. It was actually one of those. And it was a pre-LaserDisc disc. Wow. Where they had the disc inside of a, look like a record album case. And you had to slide the whole case into the machine. Remember and that. then it would it would read it and, and um, play the movie. But, I mean, it, and the sad thing was it was pan and scan. Mm, But I mean, that was the first time I'd seen Wrath of Khan on home video before HBO started showing it, you know, ad nauseum that one summer, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which I mean, was fantastic, of course. Well, I want to I want to pull up. uh, Sorry, I want to plug a book real quick. Sorry, John, I keep talking over you. Go ahead. I was just going to say before we move away from the photo novel stuff. So, you know, I think I'm older. I'm not as old as Kirk, but um, I'm the next one. And uh, these photo novels, I mean, whenever I could find them at a used bookstore or something, they were cool to have. I wish I still had them, but, you know, things always get the loss from those eras or they got red until they fell apart. Yeah. Uh, they were really super cool back then. And uh, uh, 
I didn't care if the bubbles were different or the text or whatever. It was just cool to be able to go because, you know, I didn't see the original runs because I was way too little. But watch it was standard to watch them whenever they came on. And I think they came on Sunday afternoons or early uh, as reruns. And Star Trek was just, I had to watch Star Trek. So <laughs> the photo novels were cool. So um, this was kind of fun. I was just like, all right. Um, at first I thought, oh, we're just reading photo novels of the original series. Okay. <laughs> what, what could Byrne do except put them together? But then you then it explained that they were new stories. I was like, oh, great. So... Yeah, and, and to to I think Kirk had mentioned earlier that he wasn't aware of these, and you know to be fair, they didn't have a huge print run, you no. know, throughout the entire run. Even though you know uh, Star Trek fans gab, uh, you know gobbled them up, they didn't have huge print runs. Partially because I, I think to Burns' credit, um, you know, he put a lot of work into these, and in working with IDW, these were printed in that prestige format. If you remember, you know, square bound, you know, glued binding, you know, they, and, uh, you know, with a nice glossy uh, cardstock cover. And they were, you know, quote unquote oversized, right? So these are 48 pages each. Mm -hmm. And they retailed for $7.99. Yeah. So it, it was, you know, as a Star Trek fan, you know, you had to bite the bullet, so to speak, to. To pick it up uh, every other month, but I mean, you, you got your eight dollars worth. You got, you know, yeah, like, you got the bang for your buck. I mean, for what you're paying right. for, you got plenty of content. These are not, yeah, and these are not a fast read. I think we've we've talked in the past about some modern comic books. You know, you can get through in about ten minutes or now, less. These stories are cram packed, full yeah. of full of yeah. info, and I mean, it's not, you know, like Burns' data dump. It's like a regular, you know, re episode. original series episode. Yeah. And I know Tim had to take a long time putting his synopsis of this together because the story is really involved. Um, but, you know, the other thing that I, I, there wasn't really any major fanfare outside of, you know, what you saw in the comic book shops. There wasn't anything that announced this. And that's sad because what you got here is something that that. You know, when people see it, they're like, whoa, wait, I yeah. got to look at this. You know, I show this to a Trek fan and they're just like, oh, man, this is great. And then they go out and they buy the rest. And even Shatner, you know, saw this and enjoyed it so much that, you know, he kept inviting Byrne to conventions so that they could work together on something. And that's how they put out that big uh, omnibus of the, the new Vision stories. Yeah, that we saw and, yeah, and Tim and I got to meet him both. And Tim, of course, met him twice. You rat. Went to Boston <laughs> without me. <laughs> hey, just kidding. And while we're talking about trades and reprints and stuff like that, I just want to plug Hoopla. That's where I'm reading it through the library system. Love it. This is really great. That is. And that, that's what I wanted to plug, too, because when I was in Hoopla getting these books, they have audiobooks that you can. Uh, borrow. Yep. And if you haven't listened to it, it it's, it's unabridged, so it's about 22 hours. But it's the first 50-year mission, or it's a 50-year mission, the first 25 years. It's by Mark A. Altman. And I can't remember his co-writer. But anyway, it's an oral history of Star Trek from the very beginning to the end of Star Trek VI. And it's told in mostly quotes. So they are they would give like a little description about what's happening. And then they would just have quotes from people they had interviewed kind of telling the story. And it is really an interesting insight of how Star Trek got started, a lot about Gene Roddenberry, the actors, things like that. So 
if you want to, you know, if you can stand listening to something that long, then, and again, it's it's free on Hoopla. And you can borrow it, I think, for three weeks. Uh, I, re- now, I highly recommend it. But if you're a uh, Kindle user, if you've got Kindle Unlimited through Amazon, or if you're on Comixology, uh, most of the episodes you can find, with several episode uh, issues, I say episodes, issues you can find for free uh, on Kindle Unlimited or Comixology. Otherwise, they're uh, eight. Yeah, eight ninety nine to get the the Kindle version in in, in many of them, but uh, still, I mean, uh, you know, they're they're great reads. I don't think I've seen a ba- a, a, a stinker. Now, there are that, a couple that, that are weak. <laughs> well, <laughs> what what, oh, what I'll say is is that you know the stories I've enjoyed. There's been times where he's created a new race. Or uh, a device or something, you know, something new that we hadn't seen before that just it, it takes you out of the story a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just in getting accustomed to building all this, um, you know, that, you know, there probably if he'd gone on for longer, he probably would get a better mastery of and be able to create more organic uh, Im- imagery. But when he's creating something brand new, something you haven't seen before, it does have a tendency to be a little clunky. Well, it's hard to yeah. blend it in with the existing photos that he's grabbing, uh, right? Sometimes, so that yeah, it does. Sometimes it looks looks three D rendered, but can't help. Yeah, that. I, that is one criticism I would have. You know, uh, someone who's read through the entire series that sometimes he does a really good job of integrating new elements, and other times it just looks like it's cut and paste. You know, mm-hmm. it it really sticks out and takes you out of the moment um, as you're reading. I mean, you just, you move on through it because you just recognize that, okay, you know, you had to create whatever, you know, for the story yeah. to work. But I don't um, think that's the case in this particular issue that we're going to cover. No, no. And as a lead up to, uh, to Tim's amazing synopsis, I will uh, say Byrne was very smart. Don't to, oversell to... <laughs> it. <laughs> oh, that's right. Under promise, over deliver. That's right. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, you know, Mirror Mirror is one of probably the best known and most beloved episodes of, of the original series. Uh, so he was smart to to start in that universe. There are other versions of uh, the Terran Empire infiltrating the other uh, uh, different versions of Trek. So if, if you haven't read, I would highly recommend Star Trek The Next Generation uh, Mirror Broken. And Star Trek: The Next Generation through the mirror, and that deals hmm. with Picard's double, right? And and the whole uh, STNG crew's doubles and what what they're like in the Terran Empire. I read the first, which was the first one? The mirror broke. Um, mirror broken. Yeah, that's, that's the first one. I read that one. I haven't read yeah. the second one. Yeah, through the mirror is the follow up, and then they do bring elements of those two stories. They're standalone miniseries. Um, into the next uh, uh, Star Trek uh, series that started right after it, Star Trek The Next Generation series that started right mm-hmm. after it. The other thing is we, we have uh, uh, the Mirror Universe showing up in Star Trek Discovery. It showed up in right. everything, I think, except Voyager, because it showed yeah, up in Enterprise, yeah. DS9. DS9 dipped in it the most, I think. Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, Discovery, obviously. Um and I've also got some of my notes there. Um, has anybody wait, read? Wait. Oh, go ahead. Spoilers on Discovery. Thanks, dude. Oh no, 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 <laughs> no. We're, we're not, we're not, trust me, we're not giving anything away. But I know. I'm kidding, man. I'm, I'm watching the current season, loving it. I know, yes. it's really good. 
Has anybody read the uh, Shatner's novels, The Spectre, Dark Victory, and Preserver? No. Nope. That's his Mirror Universe trilogy where he... <laughs> oh, <but> what... <laughs> everybody said instantly, no. <laughs> no. Well, it, it, again, you know, with the, the Shatner novels. Now, I'll, I'll tell you this. I read Shatner's no, tech It's no books. tech world. It's not yeah, tech. I, it's not tech world. This, these are much better written because he writes them with, uh, with Michael Jan Friedman. Is that right? No, or, no it's Jonathan the, Garfield Reeves. Reeves. Stevens. Yes, he reads yeah. them. Though, and they're not. They're not bad. I've read all of them. They're not bad. Because I think he's coming up with the plots, but they're the ones that are actually doing the right. character. Right. I think they're doing the actual heavy lifting of. Um, and also, there is. I haven't That's seen. I praised him. They're not bad. <laughs> well, well, come on. I mean, it's you know. It's not War and Peace, but it's not, you know, it's not bad. Uh, there's a they, web they series. Had, they got charged extra for use of commas and periods in each of those novels. There's a web series called Star Trek Continues. They did an episode mm -hmm. called Fairest of Them All, which is a sequel to Mirror Mirror. I haven't seen it, but it came out in 2013, I think. Oh. It's like a fan-made. Uh, they do yeah, fan. Yeah, yeah. By far the the most well known fan made is the the Star Trek continues. I know Grant Amahara from uh, MythBusters was uh, playing Sulu on those, if I remember Rip. right. No, Rip. yeah, rest in peace, and that, that that one hurt. Well, is that the is that the uh, I think you said the that's the most sued. the most oh yeah, I think they had they had <laughs> kind down. of a shut down. This was too good. But uh, I think Chekhov or Walter Koenig. Uh, and George Decay. And Decay and, played him. And I think the guy from um, who mourns from Adonis, the, the guy who plays Apollo, he shows yeah. up as Apollo on it again. So he got some big names on it. And William Wyndham as well. Really? And I didn't know that. Commander Adam Decker. Nimoy and, and uh, Scotty's played by his son. If I remember right. That's kind of cool. Yeah. So, I mean, it's... I mean, it's got a lot of people from Trek holding it up and, and you know, getting in there and, and just having fun, I think. Um, it's a great step back. And, of course, they've got just every set rebuilt uh, with uh, painstaking OCD. <laughs> they, yep. they've, uh, they've done some good stuff. And they've had a lot of the original writers, I think B. Joe Trimble and D.C. Fontana, uh, uh put in some stories if I'm, if I'm right and I'm just trying to make sure neither of them was dead before that happened uh, <laughs> but uh, now before we get into this you know I did want to bring up um, Star Trek Discovery and ask if you guys have been watching the third season yes yeah, I've seen one or two episodes but I don't know what seasons they're from I've seen season I've seen episode one and I need to catch up I'm behind because I mean, you do because it's taken. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Brian. Well, I, I mean, just the the latest season uh, so far, and as much as I enjoyed the second season, having Chris Pike in the Enterprise and all that, I really enjoyed a lot of that. This one is even more enjoyable, just for the sheer uh, unknown quantity that that we've run into. But um, the yeah, I, the I aspects. Not to interrupt, but I read a comment and it kind of resonated. You know, uh, the first season starts off kind of, I would say, shaky. You know, if you if you can get through that first season, you know, it ends on a real high note. Mm. And then the second season, you know, uh, I agree with you, Brian. You know, uh, the actor that plays Christopher Pike is just awesome. He really commands the screen when he's there. Hanson Mount. Yeah. Yes. Um, Black and... Bolt. <laughs> yeah, yep. Yep. Right. He was Black Bolt. That's right. I forgot. Uh, 
Everyone forgets. Yeah. Rip. I don't. I Rip don't. humans. Uh, you know, season two is by far, uh, you know, uh, superior to season one. And then, you know, you get into season three and, and the comment I read that, that, that really hit me was, it was like everything that they wanted to do, they had to do in season one and two to get to where they really wanted to be, which was a story they wanted to tell in season three. And I can see that because season three, to what you said, Brian, you know, this, this is all new, you know, there's, there's no recycling going on, uh, in season three. This is a completely different you know, I, universe that our, that our folks, you know, our crew find themselves in. Yeah. And I've said this before. I think they should have started. I, I've gone been on record that I'm not the biggest discovery fan, um, but I think they should have started where they are in the future because then you don't have all the baggage of trying to tell a prequel and dealing with everything that, because you have to kind of either throw it all out and say, well, we're going to do whatever we want and don't care how it fits in continuity or you got to tiptoe around it. If they could have jumped into the future, say, second, third episode, then then you're, you're, the sky's the limit. You can do whatever you want because everything's in the past and you can you get an all new ground to cover. So I yeah, think they but, should have. But then, they should have been then season one. We would one. be deprived of Anson Mount as Captain Pike, yeah. and 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 I just you know it's like I'm I'm their their new the new Chris Pike TV show Strange New Worlds coming out. I mean I think they started production, or they're getting ready to start production on it now. But um, that's you know I'm looking forward to that even more than I'm enjoying this. If if that makes any sense. Um, well, and that's the benefit I think of. Uh, you know, just kind of, yes, we're all continuity wonks when it comes to comic books and, you know, our favorite shows and movies. But, you know, I think you just kind of kind of got to set it aside, you know, and, and I and I think we all do for certain things, you know, like even with comic books. Right. You're not going to remember every single intricate plot and where things weave together. You know, it's it's always somebody else. Right. This is hey, wait a minute. You know, between episodes six and twelve, there's no way such and such could have happened. It's like, just why is it whenever we have to sit there and do one of those things, we always come up with these weird comic book guy voices? You know, like <laughs> I mean, the, the way you just did there. Of course, I always think about the comic book guy from The Simpsons. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I, I think it's because people just get too invested. You know, I, I mean, I'll. I'm in, I'm invested in Star Wars. I'm invested in Star Trek. I'm invested in comic books, but not to the point where I can't pick up a story and just read it and enjoy it. Yeah, I'm you with know, you. or I'm watch with you, Discovery David. and not try and poke holes in everything. Well, yeah. it's it's expanding universe. You know, when you, when you sit there and you look at and, and again these these comics that were the comic we're going to talk about today is really kind of an expanding universe thing in that you know it's only going to be if if you really enjoyed it's only going to be in your head canon yeah that this that this you know is part of any kind of star trek continuity and there's so much that's out there whether it's the marvel star trek or the dc which you know mike w Barr did some great stuff i i'm not a big fan of all the len ween stuff that happened in in the marvel uh uh, comic book series and then there's the peter david stuff later on at dc that there was some really really good stuff there but again, all this comic book stuff, it doesn't necessarily count. Whereas what goes on TV uh, to a point does count. And 
we have to sit there and say, how can I accept this when I know what you know what what you know I saw in the past? The 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 actual and and the problem with it is the aesthetic of the modern day effects. You know, when when they started discovering that first season, you're sitting there going, how can they have a starship right. that looks like this when we know what the starships 13 years later or 10 years later are supposed to look like? Right. You know, was it such a, a style and aesthetic change? Oh, yeah. I think we lost Brian. Get sucked into the mirror universe. <laughs> Brian was beamed away. <laughs> I, David, I agree with you on the, uh, the discovery kind of. Um, well, we start to outlook, outlook, oh. outlaw the um, the holographic stuff. Uh, what happened there? You, you disappeared. I was talking all that minute. time to nobody. That's, That's right. right. <laughs> Phased out, man. Yep. And I, I just gave the, the the secret answer to Pi. That's right. Okay. It's, it's like that next gen episode where time travels differently for other people, and people would just stop, just freeze, and everybody else would still be going out around them. <laughs> so your time froze. Uh, well, I, I I'm not going to repeat that. Okay. <laughs> I, I think I the point say... you were trying trying to make was read what you want to read, enjoy it for what it is. Yeah. And... Yeah, and, and, you know, it's like it's like watching Discovery, you know, because the aesthetic on Discovery is so different from the aesthetic of the original series. It, it's going to be impossible to reconcile those, so you don't even try. Right. All right. Yeah. I'll, I'll yeah. shut up and go to, ahead. Uh, to, to where we're going with this. So Star Trek New Visions picks up, you know, the old, you know, I say old, but the original series characters and you get to spend time with them again you know in these new stories exactly as you remember them or could flip on you know your streaming service of choice uh and, and it's like you're right back you know in it yeah and there and then when you read these it's also like an easter egg hunt because you have to go you can almost read it and then go oh, back yeah. and kind of pick out either little references in the dialogue or stuff that he's like where's that guy from you know where's that guy from so um they're worth looking at twice do we want to do we want to get into this yeah yep. okay well i uh, as i said i did the, the heavy lifting and wrote a four-page synopsis here so i apologize if it's a little long-winded but this is a 48-page book and it is there's a lot of ins and outs so uh i will i will get into this and we'll say that if anybody is interested we have covered two of these previously that uh, david mentioned in episode in our star trek special uh, our first special we did we covered strange new worlds which is the annual that preceded this and then in episode 23 we covered the final issue and unexpected yesterday so we probably talk a little more about the creation of these we're probably repeating some of the same ground but if you want to go back and listen to those shows uh then you'll give them more insight into what we're covering now because tim everyone has a first podcast episode that's right All right. So, how's it go? It goes well. Uh, we are covering <laughs> Star Trek: New the Visions, Issue One, uh, which is again the the previous Anya was so popular they brought this back. So this is the first in the in the bi-monthly series. Uh, our writer is John Byrne. Our artist, letterer, photoshopper is John Byrne. Uh, editor is Chris Royale, who shepherded almost everything he did. I think he shepherded all of his Star Trek stuff at IDW, correct? 
Yeah, and I would I would almost say that Burns the director producer of this, than than artist. Yeah, well, artist. Yeah, yeah artist, yeah. director, visionary. You know, whatever whatever label you want to put on it. Now he said photo montage and story by John Byrne, That's and true. it was based on the concepts by Jerome Bixby and characters by Gene Elkin. Okay. Correct. And of course, Star Trek created by Gene Roddenberry. Uh, our publisher is IDW. Uh, I've got a published date of May 14, 2014. It has 48 pages. Uh, and our star date covers 4291.6 through 4295.2. Uh, this is a direct sequel to Mirror Mirror, which is the Season 2, Episode 4. Uh, again, it's based on, as uh, Brian said, Jerome Bixby was the writer, and G.L. Kuhn created the characters from... Uh, Aaron of Mercy. So that's why he's referenced. And it references Mirror Mirror, which is Season 2, Episode 4, Aaron of Mercy, Season 1, Episode 27, and there's a few other references, but they're minor, so I leave them, I'll leave. i have them on my synopsis. Uh, our inner universe uh, date is 2267. Uh, as I said, this is similar to Shatner's novels uh, and the web series we already talked about, Fairest of Them All. So this took place during the second season then? Well, it's, uh, yes, this is the second season. Uh, well, Mirror Mirror's second season. And it's supposed to take place just a few months after. Right, I think a few weeks. Yeah. It says a few weeks. Yeah. A few weeks, okay. They, they never right. established a date for Trek, but they decided 2266 to match 20, 1966 when the show started. So that's what they reference when they, when they talk about the dates for the first three seasons. Yeah, I really like the way Next Gen standardized the star dates so you can tell what season it was mm-hmm. based on the... The start date. Eric yeah. Wonk. <laughs> but in in the original series, it was like, you know, Gene would just, you know, lean his head out the window and go, hey, give me some numbers. Yeah, whatever, whatever, <laughs> whatever number it was. Um, okay. And our synopsis goes a little bit like this. Oh, this is called The Mirror Cracked. It's the title of the uh, issue. Teaser, start date 4291.6. Stakes Spikes, as I said, a few weeks after the episode Mirror Mirror. Chief Engineer Scott and Lieutenant Kyle are attempting to trace down a gremlin in the transporter system. Mr. Spock enters and suggests Scotty abandon his search for the fault. Scotty isn't ready to give up, and he and Kyle leave to check the main circuit junction. When the men leave, the console becomes active, and Captain Kirk materializes on the pad. With a sinister grin, he proclaims, It worked. Roll opening theme music. We return to the transporter room. Kirk is checking the settings on the console as Mr. Kyle returns. Kirk, acting suspicious, leaves after asking where Mr. Scott is. He is stopped by Dr. McCoy, who asks if he has spoken to Mr. Spock. The doctor feels the Vulcan is not himself and is acting distracted. Kirk roughly dismisses the doctor and turns to leave. Cut to the bridge of the Enterprise. Uh, the ship is on course to La Roca KT-88. Scotty steps off the turbo lift and reports to the captain. Kirk denies needing to see the engineer. Scott says Mr. Kyle saw the captain in the transporter room. Kirk thinks a transporter malfunction, and Kirk seemingly in two different places, has, has, and this has the captain worried. See The Enemy Within, Season 1, Episode 5. He orders Mr. Chekhov to run an internal scan to locate all crew. The scan shows there are two extra bodies on board. Kirk orders security to search the ship deck by deck, but all decks are clear. Kirk wants to talk to his first officer, Bach, is not reported to the bridge. 
The captain heads to the Vulcan's quarters. He enters, presumably after knocking, and finds Spock on his bed as another Spock, phaser in hand, comes out of the shadows. He introduces himself as the Spock for the Mirror Universe. See Mirror Mirror, Season 1, Episode 27. Cut to Auxiliary Control. Lieutenant Masters is working as Kirk enters. He is surprised anyone is on duty. She's puzzled. The captain was in the meeting this morning when Mr. Scott asked her to help with the transporter Gremlin. Kirk brushes it off, and with a lecherous tone, he asks if he can help. He likes to be a very hands-on leader. He renders her unconscious, then cranks the creep factor up to 11. Having no time for anything else, he sends a signal and beams away. Cut to Spock's quarters. Dr. McCoy enters and distracts Mir Spock. Kirk knocks the weapon from his hand and demands some answers. Spock recaps the final act of Mirror Mirror, explaining he took the captain's advice and decided to put in motion a plan to overthrow the Terran Empire by taking command of the Enterprise in his universe. When Mirror Kirk, McCoy, Scott, and Uhura return to their universe, Spock explains how the duplicate ion storms caused the exchange of the four officers between the Prime Universe and the evil Mirror counterpart. Captain and the others head to sickbay. Later, Lieutenant Moreau, the Mirror Kirk's woman, approaches Spock and asks if he is going to take over the ship. Spock asks if she portrayed him to Mirror Kirk, and to be certain, he forcibly mind melds with her. Cut to the bridge. Kirk is trying to explain to Admiral Mendez, see the Menagerie, Season 1, Episode 15-16, why he did not destroy the Hawkins. Prime Kirk disobeyed orders when, the, when he was in the Mirror Universe. Mir Kirk explains the Ion Storm swap and tries to get O'Hara to back him up. She plays dumb, and the captain threatens to throw her in the agony booth. Mendez has him arrested and stripped of rank. Kirk breaks free and heads to his quarters where he uses the Tantalus device to atomize O'Hara where she sits. Before he can eliminate all those who have betrayed him, Spock arrives with Lieutenant Moreau and arrests Kirk. He explains he needs the ship to change the future and then the reign of the Empire. He throws Kirk in the brig and assumes command. He convinces Mendez not to destroy the Hawkins before they determine the former captain's plans. Spock turns Kirk over to the, a sadistic Sulu and orders him to get the information through any means necessary. Cut to the bridge. 16 hours in the agonized booth and Kirk does not break. Spock throws him back in the brig and suggests McCoy might have better luck through chemistry. Mr. Scott, having thrown in with Spock, does not sit with Kirk's torture. He asks for a transfer to another ship. Mir Scott is transferred to the ISS Vengeance, but unknown to Spock, he took the calculations for beaming between the two universes created by Prime Scott. Mir Scott, loyal to his former captain, helps Mir Kirk escape, and then ordered to and, and, but is then ordered to return to the Mir Enterprise, so Spock can mind meld with him to get to get the information. Mir Spock learns Scott had discovered a near infinite number of parallel universes and how to beam between them without exchanging personnel. Scott has also made contact with possible allies in the Prime Universe. Mirror Kirk plans to travel to the Prime Universe and take over the Enterprise. Spock decides he must follow Kirk, so he shaves his beard, beams over, and takes Prime Spock's place. End flashback. We return to the present. Cut to a Klingon battlecruiser. Mirror Kirk, in a fresh sleeveless tunic complete with sash, discusses his plans with the Klingon Corps. See Air of Mercy, Season 1, Episode 27. Kirk exchange plans for a for a Romulan cloaking device and energy weapon for Kor's help. See Balance of Terror, Season 1, Episode 8. Kor shows Kirk around his ship and begins to teach him about its systems. 
Cut to the bridge of the Enterprise. Nine hours have elapsed since the Mirror Kirk arrived. Prime Spock is trying to trace the signal from Mirror Kirk to what we now know was Kor's ship. Prime Spock determines he beamed to a cloaked Klingon vessel. Mirror Spock, sporting a newly regenerated beard, explains the Empire has a cloaking device from an alliance with the Romulans. Suddenly, the Enterprise is rocked by a thunderous boom. Captain, the Klingons are attacking. The ship shudders under one another attack. McCoy asks the Klingon, how can the Klingons attack due to the Organian Peace Treaty? See Aaron of Mercy, Season 1, Episode 27. Kirk guesses the Peace Treaty has a loophole if the attacker is his mirror counterpart. Another blast. Bakum. Prime, Prime Kirk tries to open a channel to the Klingon when Mirror Kirk breaks in. He compliments his counterpart on deducing who it was attacking. Kor tells Mirror Kirk not to, be, not to underestimate Prime Kirk. The Enterprise is the finest in Starfleet. Mirror Kirk is outraged when he sees Mirror Spock on the bridge of the Enterprise. Kor asks for the Prime Crew's surrender. Kirk politely rejects the offer and has the helmsman perform what we will call the Sulu Maneuver. The starship warps away. Scotty reports the Klingons knew where they were to hit them and the ship had structural damage. High-speed evasive maneuvers could be dangerous. Mir Spock takes the helm and manages to catch the Klingons off guard. The core ship takes full phasers. Boom! How can the starship hit while they are cloaked? Mir Kirk suggests Mir Spock has found a way to pierce the cloak. Mir Spock knows his plans will not work twice. His former captain will adapt. Now it's Prime Spock's turn. He has Chekhov extend deflectors to encompass the Klingon ship. This renders the ship visible. The Enterprise broadsides a D7 battlecruiser, crippling it. Prime Kirk beams the crew of the Klingon ship to the brig. Kor and the Mirror Kirk manage to bring up the shields, preventing their own transport. Prime Kirk and Mirror Spock beam over to the hope of tagging the two so they can be beamed to the Enterprise. Kor can't kill Prime Kirk because of the treaty, but Mirror Kirk can. He grabs his disruptor. But Prime Kirk offers them a deal. Mirror Kirk lashes out at Mirror Spock, calling him a traitor, and he calls his counterpart a weakling. Kor knows when to fight and when to parlay. He wants to hear Kirk's deal. Mirror Kirk turns on the Klingon and fires. Missed. He then turns on Prime Kirk, but Mirror Spock pushes Kirk out of the way. Mirror Kirk jumps in the elevator and escapes. Prime Spock contacts his captain and explains the Klingon ship will soon be engulfed in flames. They have to find Mirror Kirk. Mirror Spock says his former captain will not hide. It's not in his nature. He will try to escape. Transporter room. Mirror Kirk sets the transporter controls for his universe and steps on the pad. Kor, Prime Kirk, and Mirror Spock enter the transporter room as a madman dematerializes. Mirror Spock quickly makes some adjustments to the console. Prime Spock beams the trio to the Enterprise as the fire spread and a Klingon vessel explodes with mighty Bakun. Back on the Enterprise, the ship is met by a delegation of Klingon vessels for Kor and his crew. Kor departs knowing that he and Kirk will surely meet again in the future. Now it's time for Mirror Spock to say his goodbyes. He is beamed back to his universe where Mirror McCoy asks what happened to their former captain. Where is he? Did Kirk kill him? Did Spock kill him? Cut to a puzzled Kirk on board the Enterprise. But which Enterprise? He realized Spock must have altered his coordinates as he was beaming. He is spotted by two crewmen. But how can this be? Kirk is dead. We saw him. He is immediately arrested and taken to the bridge of the HMS Enterprise, a bridge operated entirely by women. Captain Uhura welcomes him. She is delighted he is still alive. Somehow, now she gets to see him skinned alive again.
The end. Nice job. Very thank well you. done. Thank you. That was. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now you had your Star Trek research hat on. <laughs> putting in all those episodes. Yeah, yeah that was good. Well, it got hard because I thought I started calling them Mirror Spock and Mirror Kirk, and it gets like jumping back yeah. and forth, and it got to be a little. A little now, uh, and, and the one I wanted to ask you, though, I think because there was one that you missed, and that was Lieutenant Masters. Wasn't she from the Alternative Factor? She is. I didn't. I okay, didn't, that, yeah, that, I didn't was, reference her, but yeah, um, I know that was like the worst episode ever. So, <laughs> it's like, I, I like the Alternative. I don't. I don't. People think it's terrible, but I kind of like it. Uh, it is terrible. It is terrible. <laughs> but that again is just an opinion. So, well, but no, this, this yeah. was a fun. This was a fun story. But it, it, I mean, it kind of the 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 thing with Ahura kicked me out when they when they killed Ahura. That kicked me out of it. Just like I can't believe they did that. I can't believe he did that. Well, he was ready to. What kicked me out was the ending with uh, the all female crew when Ahura there. Yeah. And she's getting that felt like that's kind of twilight zony i thought nah, that that kind of if if why not just you know don't tell what happened to him so that you could use him again but it just felt like well he needs his comeuppance and yeah. and it, it doesn't mean that it happened though that's true he might, Kirk, he might right. be able to talk this Uhura out of it and arrange right. a partnership of some offering sort. offering yeah he offering cloaking technology and the other weaponry and and such, he could probably sway her there. That's right. I mean, she's already killed charming. him once. And, yeah. <laughs> now, yeah, but that was probably that was Slave Kirk, not this Kirk, who is right. much slave more Kirk. a Slave Kirk. You know, that was uh, Weakling Slave Kirk. Yeah, I mean, the, I mean, I, I kind of I like the uh, the twist here that that Mirror Spock <laughs> discovered that there were other alternate universes and. Uh, rather than just kill him, he's like, "Hey, I'm going to send him here because obviously he spent time studying it, so he knew what to do. So he really wanted Kirk to be, in his mind, like really tortured." Yeah, and it. it, it so, so the okay, oh. hold on one second. Just and this, this I'll put my own, you know, nerd wonk hat on. So let's say that Spock did crack the code to the other universes. How sure was he that there was another Enterprise at the exact coordinates? Because they're beaming to coordinates, so he could have just as easily beamed uh, Mirror Universe Kirk into just space. Space. He could have spaced him. Well, they the same with the original episode Mirror Mirror. They seem to they seem to occupy the exact same space in both universes because they were beaming. To each other and they just kind of it's like yeah. slip past each other so uh, I, I, I could get it on the first time but now when they're at they're at the resolution at the end of the episode and they all have to be on the transporter pad at exactly the same how are you going to get mirror kirk in the, the regular trek universe and the other no. three to stand on the pad at the exact same time because no, so what gotta slide what, that, what, what spock and scotty had determined is that is, is a new way of doing it where they didn't have to trade that it was you know simply they could send anyone anywhere and it, it the the idea of there being you know multiple infinite universes an infinite combination you know i mean that simply means you know there is a, a version of this universe where all of us are having this exact same conversation except i'm richard nixon uh the, <laughs> That, you know, th there is so much that is 
exactly parallel and then there's minor deviation and then there's great deviation if you remember the next gen episode uh parallels with uh wharf traveling from one parallel universe to the other there were so many different variations and they were minor and then there was major and there but a lot of them had you know so many of the same thing it was just a matter of a little bit of conceit to say that spock or scotty could find a universe like this to send that Kirk to. Yeah, and that's and that's where I I kind of dropped out too because to me it's like so without them explicitly stating you know uh, we knew exactly where he was going because we've gone there once before you know that we were sending him to kind of his own private hell right I mean if if that's if that's what we're supposed to take from this you know that yeah here you have a you know a ultra alpha male being sent to a universe where a ship you full know, of women, and that's his I, private hell? Right. I don't think so. No, well, no, no, but they're <laughs> slaves. The men are the lower, lower. Yeah, the lower. Exactly, exactly. Maybe so he's going to be the one that overthrows. Maybe he's going to be the one that overthrows that. Yeah, I maybe. don't think so. <laughs> you know, there's a whole ship of strong, independent, you know, smart women. Uh, you know, uh, he could have, like I said, he could have just as easily beaten himself to a, you know, a enterprise that was populated with a whole bunch of Kirk clones. Yeah, it could have been like, like the best thing ever. On that last page, when he runs into those two guys, and that guy goes to the the thing to communicate to the bridge, that if you look on his sleeve, instead of rank, it's uh, chains. chains. Yeah, that's really cool. And I didn't reference but him, but that character is from uh, Obsession. He's one of the guys that gets killed by the vampire cloud. Oh, uh-huh. <laughs> didn't they all? <laughs> no, there's so much in, in the visuals in this that uh, it, 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 even if you look at the front uh, front cover, you can tell that the front cover was, you know, the um, they, they actually had a regular crew picture, uh, like a promo picture of something, because you can see like a Horace hand on Spock's shoulder there. Yeah. And, you know, that's a regular Kirk there. But all the others, the, the mirrors cracked and you can see like the two different Sulus, the, the mirror Sulu versus the other one. And McCoy, of course, is the regular McCoy. But Ahura, of course, you know, they've got to shove the midriff. <laughs> but uh, just, you know, the, the subtlety of the little, you know, that you can see the differences in the in the characters. The look, the maniacal look on Chekhov's face. No, it's uh, just you know, a, lot of, a lot of thought and careful uh, planning went into this one in, in all the little details. And, and let me ask you, on, on the very first page, when Scotty and Kyle leave the transporter room and you see the sound effects of the of the transporter there, did you hear them in your head? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny. So, he, he, he references twice in this book, uh, The Enemy Within, when yeah. he says, you know, oh, there may be a duplicate of me. And then later... Mirror Kirk references to Mirror Spock. He says, remember when that accident and I was split in two and how my other part was such a weakling? Yeah. And this is kind of how that, you know, in that episode, they beam Kirk aboard. He feels kind of dizzy and Scotty walks him off and then it comes on again like this without anybody in there. And he, then Kirk materializes again, which that may be where this is. I don't know if this were these, uh, the splash page where he comes on and he's got that horrible little grin where he says it worked. Um, comes from I don't I don't know if that's from that episode or not, but uh, could that, be. He looks a little deranged. Yeah, I think it's interesting how we don't kind of 
you know, you don't know who it is first, and then you, you kind of get a feeling that maybe that's something's going on. So I didn't refer to him as Mira Kirk until he's revealed that he's Mira Kirk. Uh, I think it is um, from Mirror Mirror, and it, it basically he's taken the head from Kirk when he was the Mirror Kirk when he was in the brig. Mm-hmm. And I say that because of just how messed up the hair is. Yeah. And if you look at the other shots that he uses of Kirk, the hair is also just as messed up. When Mirror Kirk is talking to Mirror Spock uh, yeah. on like page nine. In the in the Shatner novels, he comes back and he calls himself Emperor Tiberius. And he somehow preserved himself or something so he was able to exist in the next gen timeline. And then he wants to cross over into our universe and kind of uh, take over. So these are similar because it, I would really, honestly, I prefer almost if this whole episode issue took place in a mirror universe and we get to see the whole side of it instead of just kind of Spock's recap. And then it jumps back into our universe where he's trying to come over and he basically wants revenge on Kirk uh, and he wants to steal the Enterprise. But I think I'd rather see the whole story, which I think this must have. Because think about it, everybody wonders, well, what happened when they went back? You know, was Spock able to make changes? And there has been... Well, in DS9, they talk about that he did. Spock was able to take over kind of and reform the Terran Empire. And because of that, they were conquered. Were they conquered by the Klingons and the Romulans? And that's why the they're, the humans are basically... The Terran Empire, yeah. Yeah, they get they defeated. And, they're, they're, and that's why the Bajorans are allied with the Cardassians. And they basically overtook Earth and the Federation. And um, that's why... Uh, they're, yeah, it's, they're it's lower the class wrong, citizens. It's the wrong advice to give to someone that lives in the <laughs> in in the, the uh, you know the mirror mirror universe because everything's taken to the you know extreme um, you know of our our uh, I want to say the base baser instincts of our mm-hmm. nature, yeah. but yeah. essentially that's what it is, right? I mean, everybody o- operates under their own you know uh, uh, wants and desires and you know, to hell with everybody else. And, yep. you know, it's very clearly stated in multiple different, you know, uh, comics. And I think in the show too, at least I can't remember if they referenced it in the original series episode. Like if you want to get ahead, you just kill the person ahead of you. Yeah. yeah. And then everybody moves up, yeah. everybody moves up in rank. Yeah. Yep. Kirk, Kirk got his position by killing captain Pike. Yep. Which I think, I think it's interesting is, is that, Really, in the uh, the mirror universe, wasn't it only the uh, the Federation that was really this savage thing? Whereas all the others remained what they were until the Federation uh, or the the Empire came out. I don't I don't remember. It, well, obviously in this they say they conquered the Klingons and they had an alliance yeah. with the Romulans and they did, wiped out the Klingons. Um, but I don't I don't know if they ever talk much about. Well, I know, yeah, you have you have to extrapolate, and and I believe it is. Isn't it touched on Tim in the mirror cracked, um, or the not mirror cracked, but the mirror shattered? You know the next gen books. I mean, essentially, you have the same races existing in the alternate universe, and so to not be overtaken by the Terran Empire, they would have to escalate their own abilities. Right, because I think in that one they have they had conquered the board. Because isn't that one? Yep. Because of yep. certain things, I want to give it away, but right. Um, yeah. Well, and then there's also speculation that I don't think there's any books on this, but that the mirror, the dark, the, the evil mirror universe, the Terran Empire, came out of uh, 
City on the Edge of Ferrero, that if Kirk had not had prevented Edith Keeler from dying. And Spock says, well, then she became, you know, very popular and there was a pacifist movement and right. the U.S. didn't enter the war and Nazi Germany took over. And because of that, that became the Terran Empire. And which is, I think you, is a, a great theory, but I don't think that's been fleshed but out. If you watch Star Trek Enterprise, uh, they had a mirror episode where the, the beginning of it showed first contact with the Vulcans, right. Zephyr right. Cochran, and instead of uh, taking his hand, he shot him. <laughs> well, they could have still, I mean, they, if the Nazis took over, they could have still, they could have still had World War Three, and then they, yeah. then, that, that they were just all aggressive and they killed the Vulcans, and then uh, I thought that was, uh, I loved uh, that, that two-parter because it explains what happened to the Defiant, and it explains, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it gives, you get to see evil Scott Bakula <laughs> And that one yeah. kind of has an ending similar to this, where uh, Hoshi Hoshi takes over. You know, she's you know she does him in, and she's going to be captain. So, yeah. Now, if you um, if you like the comic book stuff, uh, Mike W. Barr wrote some great Mirror Universe stuff uh, back in the eighties when when DC did the uh, Star Trek series, and they were following up from the movies. So they were trying to fill the gap between Star Trek Two and Star Trek Three and Star Trek Three and Star Trek Four, and of course, as each movie came out, it completely destroyed the continuity they created in the the DC Star Trek, and they would have to sit there and and just recalibrate it all. And so he was the one that um, between Star Trek Three and Star Trek Four had to write how they would get Spock to get out of his uh, uh, clone stupor, so to speak. But uh, the mirror stories there were really good, where you had Mirror Savick and and all the others and uh, interacting. They they blew up the uh, and golly, I'm trying to remember now because it's like they blew up one of the starships. The, yeah, they blew up the ISS Enterprise and only the saucer section remained. Hmm. And that was uh, Captain Kirk, the the prime Kirk Prime getting control of the ISS Enterprise and uh, using it against. Mirror Kirk, who had the Excelsior at that point. Interesting. Well, I but, almost uh, yeah, those are really, really good stories. Any any of the Star Trek stuff that was written by Mike W. Barr is got the it is as well as Byrne has it here. It's got the Star Trek voice. You you hear the characters in your head as you're reading it. It's just not the greatest art. Uh, Ricardo uh, Villamonte and uh, Tom Sutton. I, I think it's say... Tom Sutton doing the art and Villamonte. Yeah, I will say that that Byrne does get the voices down, especially Core. I thought he did a great job of, of the way Core spoke and John Calico's would you know, he would almost He had it he had his voice down, but his characterization was way off as far as I was concerned. Yeah. I mean th- this wasn't the core of Errand of Mercy. This is more like the Klingons in uh, Friday's Child or you know other episodes when Core wasn't necessarily prominent. You think he was he was too subservient to America? Too wishy-washy, too wishy-washy for one, uh, lacking of honor. And the, the one thing we know about Kor is that while he had the Klingon Empire, you know, uh, wants in mind, he still was a man of honor. I don't know if I would, I would, I agree that he does seem to be a little weaker in this, but I think it's more, he's more, he's playing the field. He's being more... Yeah. He's being more uh, open. Open. Maybe he's being a little more Romulan. He's being more. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's, exactly. He's, but he, you it, know, it was, 
his characterization was subservient to the plot. And but I think he was the only one that had that in there where his characterization was kind of not as as solid as what we'd seen in in his other performances. And again, you know, we've got later performances of him in Deep Space Nine where he was definitely much more of the honor bound and. Um, well, that's just, because it wasn't until Next Gen that we established that the Klingons were necessarily honorable. They yeah, that was never really brought up um, in in the original series. Other than, I mean, I agree that probably Kang was was much more honor bound than than the other Klingons that you saw. Well, Kang and and well, yeah, because the others were kind of played for when when they were more played for jokes. But yeah, were Kor and Kang. I mean, Kor, who is the prototypical the, Klingon, is. He's more. Uh, he's a warrior. Kirk's a warrior, and they can. They. I think they have grudging respect for each other. Uh, that's why he recognizes when Kirk's trying to be um, trying to play this pacifist. He recognizes him as being. No, no, you're 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 not what you what you what you're trying to portray yourself as. So Kor is, I think, a little more. Uh, he's not. He doesn't want war, but as he says, it would have been glorious. So I think he's. Um, I think he's playing. He's. I think he's using Kirk to his own ends because he says into this. Well, what makes you think I was going to turn over the cloaking device and the energy weapon to the Klingon? I was going to use them for my own gains. Yeah. And that's yeah, that's not honorable, but I think it it kind of fits him with his character because he's not. They haven't become this wharf-like honorable character uh, that we see in Next Gen. You know, and I've always said that I thought. Uh, if, if the Klingons are so honorable, don't you think that using a cloaking device is a little cowardly? Wouldn't Klingons want to face their enemy up front yeah. instead of yeah. hiding behind something? Well, I, th I think what that is, is they want to use the cloaking device to get up to them, and then they reveal themselves and then yeah. face them and sing. So, yeah, that's, well, that's we, it's we a little theatrical, bit, yeah. We see a bit of that with, uh, what was it, uh, Discovery, Kalish. <laughs> And that, and that barge of a ship—that's mm -hmm. exactly what that ship was meant to do, right? I mean, and it was like famous within the Klingon, uh, you know, fleet. It, it was quite—I think, if I remember, if I remember correctly, it was quite old, uh, but it had a huge reputation for doing just that, you know, like just brute force, you know, uh, ramming ships. Wow. Which, if that's the case, you think the Klingons, being more warlike than the Romulans, would have? something the size of the warbirds because <clears throat> that's something they never you never quite got the idea that the warbirds are, are over or twice the size of the enterprise d they're huge or massive mm -hmm. and you think the klingons would have be more about bigger is better and have huge these just huge dreadnoughts you know that they would go into battle but hey, we're based the, on this the, it the, seems you know, like the, 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 the klingon ship complement. is big enough to hold a whale so it's it's happening. <clears throat> well, that's a couple, couple, couple whales. <laughs> but they, these uh, Klingon ships, now, these are what, D7s? D7s. D7s. And I always thought that the D7 was on, you know, the same size as, as, a, as a Constitution class. It's, a, it's roughly the same size, I think. Uh, but it, it seems like the crew complement is just as small in this as it was in the Bird of Prey in Star Trek Three. Because they're able to take all of them and beam them into a uh, hold. 
Well, they don't see how many be beam. I mean, if you if you read yeah. the, uh, I'm gonna put my nerd hat on. If you read the uh, Star Trek uh, spec manual, they do have emergency transporters that can transport up to twenty people at a time. Yeah, true, true. Oh yeah, this, this brings out full nerd mode from us. Oh here, my gosh! Wow, deep, deep. We're going deep, people. Stay with <clears> us. Well, I'm gonna bring up another one that. Um, where are my notes? Excuse me, excuse me. According to the Klingon uh, service manual, they could not have beamed all of those people from that spot to that spot over there. It's just not possible. Uh, hold on just one second. <laughs> Bear with me for just a moment. I'm going to step away. Talk amongst yourselves. When uh, when they first, when, when Kirk first suspects something's going on and he has Chekhov run a scan and, scan, and Chekhov scans the whole ship. And he says, um, he finds, you know, 429 people. And he says, well, we're only supposed to have 427. Uh, and he says something about um, reading here on the... Uh, he says something about, about markers. Like everybody, almost like a next gen, yeah. I think, but I think a next gen they use the communicator. But they have, right. they can pinpoint who somebody is. They can tell where somebody is. Well, Doesn't everybody have a transponder in them? Something which makes sense. They, I think they would. Uh, but if you remember, now granted, this is season two, so it takes place after season one, which in court-martial, and they're trying to find um, Finney, they have to do that crazy thing of turn, beaming everybody off, turning all the sound off, and then listening for his heartbeat instead of just using internal scanners. So maybe this is something that they've since uh upgraded so they can pinpoint maybe it's because of that they they installed this but because mm -hmm. um, well, in that when one he Brian says comes back it's going to be mirror brian <laughs> no 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 i uh i, I i've actually got uh, uh the, the i knew you of, were going to grab something the book of klingon plans is basically oh, the blueprints no. of, the, of the d7 <laughs> and trying to see if it gives any kind of measurement oh. And holy cow, that thing is huge. Yeah, it's definitely going to be as big as a, a Constitution class, it's but it a, doesn't yeah, give me the stats. Like it's the not nearly as small as the... Uh, yeah, the Bird of Prey is much smaller um, than, the, uh, than the D7. But. This has been Star Trek Tech Talk. <laughs> Brian and Tim. This has been Have Star we covered Trek, it pretty well? Star Trek Ted Talk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> These, these blueprints are really kind of good. These were put together in uh, 1975 by Michael McMaster and Jeff Maynard with Jeffrey Mandel and Mary Kennedy. So it's not Jeffrey's that did it. I don't know. It, they look like the same kind of plans that you see in the Star Trek blueprints. And, uh, yeah. Did you say, the, Jeff, uh, did you say Jeff, did you say Jeff Maynard? Yeah. Is it J-E-F? No. Yeah, yeah J-E-F-F -F Maynard. Okay. But okay. Jeffrey Mandel, which is G-E-O-F-F-R-E-Y. Well, I wonder if Jeff Maynard uh, is the same. He was the original property and design or production manager of the first season for MST3K. He built all the props and the robots and all that stuff. That hmm. would probably be a likely, probably the same uh, likely guy. thing. And I'm going to do some research here real quick. So you guys talk amongst yeah. yourselves. So I, I did want to go back to this. Uh, discussion that happened before we went deep into technical manuals. Um, I, as a 
not clearly not as versed in the Star Trek universe as as uh, as Brian and Tim, who can rattle off different stats and different things. The core, you know, crew of the Enterprise, as well as the the mirror versions of of uh, Kirk and uh, Doctor McCoy, Spock, they all were good for me. You know, as as I was reading this, I, I never felt like, oh, you know, that dialogue is really crazy. Other than the brief talk we've had about Core and and you know, kind of turning on his belly or showing his belly pretty quick, um, I, I had no trouble with the dialogue at all. And, and right. John or Kirk, I don't know if you felt the same, but I, I yeah. felt like I was hearing it in the actors' voices, you know, in their characters' yep. voices. Even the uh, Captain. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he did write his accent in. Yeah. It's just not as pronounced as it did in Star Trek 09. They went a little overboard, but. Yeah, I mean, I think Victor, that's the. Victor, Victor, too. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> I think that's the advantage of having the, the, the images. You get, you know, you instantly kind of hear the actor's voice. And I, I think he does. He does. His, he has a good ear for, I mean, he should. He's probably, he has, he's memorized. Uh, he has a good ear for the dialogue and the, I think the type of storytelling. This could have been maybe there may be a little bit, a little, little more violence in this, but I think he, you could have done this as say a two-parter. It seems a little long for a one-parter. You could do this as a two-parter. I think he could have shown it at the time when, when Star Trek was on the air. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I, th- I thought the, the inclusion of, I mean, I assume everybody's seen Mirror Mirror. Sure. Okay. Yep. yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't want to assume. Uh, Lieutenant uh, Moreau, the captain's woman, you know, she, yeah. she kind of plays a big part in that episode. Right. And this, she seems like she's like she's going to be a part of this story, and then she just dropped out. Right. And once Kirk, I mean, once Spock kind of forcibly mind melds with her, which is a, was a little creepy on his part, uh, she just disappears and she doesn't play any part in it again. Right. So, same with the uh, Klingons that are bringing, uh, beamed to the uh, brig. Mm-hmm. There's a loose end. Yeah. I don't mind it, though. I, I, I thought this was very satisfying. I could hear the actor's voice. I could hear Star Trek's voice. It did seem a little bit long and convoluted. But I enjoyed this. This was a very enjoyable experience. Well, I think that was smart when he did Mirror Mirror that you didn't really, other than at one scene, kind of where you see the evil counterparts, it takes place mostly in the Mirror Universe. And that helps that when you're jumping back and forth, it does get kind of confusing because you've got duplicates of everybody. Um, That's why I almost wish this this had taken place and we got to see uh, all of this was in the Mirror Universe. We got to see instead of Kirk trying to jump back into our universe it was all spock taking over um the you know and setting his plans in motion to right uh you know to kind of you know take over the terran empire and 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 kind of reshape it but um but then it was it was you know th- these are all they're always good stories and 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 burn knows star trek and he does a good job of Capturing the voices and getting the tone of the show right, um, it's there's well, a it, it definitely fills a void, right? And, oh yeah, you know if if you haven't 
uh, I think Brian had mentioned, <clears throat> excuse me, at the start, that you could hand this to someone who maybe is not a big comic book person, mm -hmm. but they're really into Star Trek, uh, and, and use this as kind of a gateway drug, right? <laughs> hey, would you like to see some more adventures with the original crew? Uh, you know, here you go. You know, take yeah. a, to, you know, read this because, uh, yes, it's it's comic booky in the way that it's laid out, but it, it doesn't read that way. It reads like, uh, you know, an episode of the show. You're just watching it, you know, instead of moving pictures, right? It's still images, uh, because Byrne is able to you know, get the voices of the characters right, you know, 95% of the time. And and that's kind of been his track record through all of us. You know, we talked a little bit about that in Dr. McCoy, Frontier Doctor, which we just covered not too too long ago. Um, you know, there's some missteps here and there, but, you know, in the original series, you know, or any of the series, there's always going to be some times where, you, you know, in your head you're going to say, well, that, that character wouldn't say that. Right. Um, but, you know, because Byrne is writing these, he's not getting the benefit of the actor who played the person, you know, which many of these folks are unfortunately no longer with us. But in a TV show, you get an actor who's invested in the character, right, who would object and say, well, I don't think they'd say that or they would say it this way instead. And that's where that voice is kept consistent. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you've, that all falls on Byrne's shoulders here to write every one of these characters' voices and to make sure that it stays you know, in a, you know, in that character's style, and that that's a tough thing to do. It is, and it's, and I wonder if, if as you said, it's a, it's maybe possibly a gateway to somebody who likes Star Trek but doesn't like comics. It might also work the opposite for <clears throat> if you're a huge Burn fan, but you just, but you're more into it for his art. You would think, well, why would I read this? He's not drawing anything. You know, if you don't care about his writing then it might turn them off and they're like, well, I don't, I'm not going to read it because he's not drawing it and I love his art. So, uh, I mean, I think that's something not giving him a chance to, because here, if you think about it, yeah, he's showing his ability to Photoshop all this stuff, but the, the core strength of it is his, his writing, which is yeah. what his, I think, you know, he said some stuff that he loves. He like he thinks of himself as a writer more than an artist. So this is his, uh, uh, and it gives him a little more freedom than trying to draw all this. He can, and I think a lot of it is also him kind of learning a new uh, skill. You know, he's learning to do computer stuff instead of um, having to draw it. Maybe it's easier. Maybe it's he more got, fun. He got to the point where he could do two to three pages a day, which is basically about the same rate that he was doing uh, comic books in the later times. Yeah. And if you now, build up... to, to let my OCD um, complete here, when I was looking <laughs> at these blueprints on this thing, just listen to this. Number of six-person transporters, three. Number of 18-person transporters, one. Number of 22-person transporters, five. And then two cargo transporters. So, yeah, they had a large crew complement, and they were able to move them quickly. That's really weird. Why would they have only one 18, but five 22s? <laughs> Why would they have an 18 at you got to figure it had something to do with the engineers, you know. It always comes down to this. As we know, they love to change things. Yep. Uh, yep. Well, well and thank that's... you for that clearing that up. You know, that was <laughs> that was really holding me back. That was weighing heavy, story. heavy in your mind, wasn't it, David? <laughs> it was. It was weighing me down, and uh, <laughs> it, it's cleared up. Yeah, I. Um, 
you know, one one thing to take into account, right? So Burns started doing these, uh, you know, or they were published in June of, uh, or with a cover date of June of 2014, uh, I think. Byrne is the exception to the rule in terms of, uh, you know, uh, aging, you know, comic book artists and comic book writers. Uh, most of them are not getting work anymore. You know, Byrne is still out there working. Um, I will say there's a solicit for a brand new uh, Chris Claremont X-Men story. But yeah, it, and this is his Elswin. Yes, which uh, I, I you know I don't want to go there yet, but I thought it was kind of interesting. <laughs> anyway, you know this to me, the technical parts of this are just as difficult because he has to find the right images and put them together in a way that's believable. Uh, you know, sometimes adding people into a scene that aren't there and and. And uh, we've talked in some, in some of the later issues, there are parts where things stick out. I would love to see Byrne con continue to do this, uh, but maybe get some help. Uh, I would love to have someone that's more competent, you know, and, and, and higher skill level to create some of those new visual elements that Byrne puts into these books and to have them merge seamlessly into the story. Because I, I really think he could he could do something that would be you know really special if he had a little bit more um, you know technical help to integrate some of those new pieces and and I'd be curious to know where he would go you know with a story if he had you know another person who could create those elements and you know blend them into the story that Byrne wants to tell with these existing you know images that he has. I don't know. My, to, to Brian's point, most of it, it's usually if he's doing a ship or he's doing some kind of new tech and he's having to uh, render it. And sometimes it doesn't and sometimes it doesn't quite look like it fits. It doesn't look like something maybe Jeffries would, would design. So it looks like yeah. he said, out of place. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if he would be basically like hiring out to some of his work. And I don't know if he would would do that. I don't know. Um, there, different there than having is, an anchor, I guess. There is the element of, of control in this that, uh, you know, that, and I mean, what we found with, with uh, Elswin and, and, you know, his later works is that he prefers to be able to work on his own without, you know, the outside influence basically telling him, you can do this, you can't do that. And so I think that's that, that would be the difficulty there is that he wouldn't want someone going in and changing something behind him. Well, well, it'd be more. It'd be more of a. He draws it because clearly he still has the chops. As oh, absolutely, as yeah. You guys have been talking. You know, I, I have not been on every one of the Elswin uh, uh, episodes that we that were recorded, but he still has the chops to draw. So he could, to me, in my mind, if he just drew it, you know, and made, you know, kind of a, a design exercise, right, and gave that to somebody and said, "This is what I want. Can you make it look like?" You know, it fits in the '60s Star Trek. Right. He just takes that, and drops into his, yep. his, his. So yeah, that. I mean, that's no different than. I mean, when you're when he has somebody ink his stuff, which he has no problem with, you're giving a, you're giving up a lot of control there because unless you're over their shoulder saying ink it exactly like this, you're up to their interpretation of what they're going to do. Right. Um. So I don't know. I don't. You mean, maybe I change all the faces. <laughs> Maybe it's a matter of money. Maybe you know he doesn't or just paint over the whole background. Yeah, <laughs> erase, start erasing stuff. Um, 
maybe he can't you know he, he can't afford to or doesn't want to spend the money to have somebody do it or maybe he's he's learning this himself and he's like i want to do it i you know i want to i want to learn to do this so i'm going to do it and, and i'm going to struggle through it but i yeah i i think brian both both said that i would love to see him as to do to continue to do this i think he's probably got lots of stories he could tell yeah and it's just again, I think it's when the muse hits him. And I know I noticed that he's been commenting on it more and more lately. So I think he's getting that um, that feeling to go back into the computer and put something together. Now, you know, will it be just like what we've seen, or is it going to be something that has morphed and changed? Because he's been experimenting and playing around with different designs that he's been talking about on on his website. Yeah. So it's just a you know matter of seeing you know what what he's gonna I know what he's people, gonna come up with. I know people have asked if he, he I think if he'd consider doing this with like next gen and he's said no. You know he's TOS, got no, TOS is his thing. The, that's all he wants yeah. to do. He doesn't have any love for the the TNG like he had for for this. Yeah. And you know I don't know that I'd want TNG. I mean we had what seven seasons of TNG. Yeah. So we we had plenty of their stories. <laughs> um, I don't. I'm, I'm, <clears throat> I like this because much like the uh, animated series, which was the fourth season of the original series. So <laughs> um, this is really kind of cool to kind of go in and see some of these extra different types of stories. I think he did a good job. I mean, I read the annual. I got really brought in on that. I thought it was really cool, and I, I think he did. I think he's doing a really good job. Sometimes I think the voices aren't the same. I, I may, and maybe it's because he's putting so much verbiage in there to help tell the story for the stuff that we can't watch to happen. So he's got to explain a lot of stuff. And maybe that kind of seems a little, to me, out of character from the original uh, series back then. But it doesn't matter. I'm still in, I, I still enjoyed it, and it was really good. And um, I like the... Uh, I like this concept. It's a great way to get some new stories out of the original series. Yeah, I think you're right, John. If this was, if they used this dialogue and actually filmed it, it would seem a little clunky because it's more, to somebody's point, it's a kind of comic book dialogue. It's a little more exposition. It's not what you would have in an actual script. But <clears throat> I don't think it, to me, it doesn't take me out so much that it feels, it's more like if you're reading a novel or if you read prose, you know, when they're, you're going to get the same kind of dialogue. You're not going to get the kind Agreed. of dialogue. Yeah. You know? So <clears throat> I don't think it takes it out. I don't take it. It doesn't detract from it. I think, uh, uh, yeah, we haven't, oh. I don't know why I haven't covered more of these, maybe because they take a little longer to, to, uh, to read, but, uh, these are all, and there's a lot of these I have not read because I just, I, I collect them and didn't have the time. But now that I've got hoopla, I can go through and just burn through them. No, no, read the um, read, read the physical. Come on, what's wrong well, with you? I've got the physical, but they're packed away in the in the garage, so I have to go dig them out. Oh, that's true. You you, <laughs> and, you, you um, did just move. We'll give you a pass <laughs> on that. I I just realized that um, Core also is Baltar. Yep. Yeah. I, I never made that connection before because <laughs> they were so far separated, and now I'm looking and I'm like, that guy looks familiar. Oh, it's Baltar. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a story about. The actor, and I've told before on the previous uh, previous episodes, but I don't know if you guys had heard it. Uh, one of my good friends, Kevin Topham, 
uh, works at a number of Star Trek conventions. You know, like he'll do security or, or, or handle things, you know, uh, for the, the showrunners. And uh, John Colicos was a, was a guest at one, and his handler was his uh, nephew. And they were looking for him uh, to, I think, go out to dinner or something. And so everybody was looking all around for him. And my friend Kevin gets the idea, why don't I check the bar? And he goes in there, and of course, there he is, sitting right up at the bar, having a beer. And Kevin comes up to him. He's like, uh, your, your nephew's looking for me. He goes, no, he's not looking for me. If he had, he'd know to go to the bar. <laughs> and he says, sit, sit. We got time. And so my friend Kevin sits down and orders a beer. And Colicus just goes into this kind of monologue. And he's sitting there, he has a, like, like, you know, there I am, Kang on my left, Kor, uh, Koloth on my right, an army in front of us, an army behind of us. And my friend Kevin, he's holding the beer up to his face just so the guy Did cannot he see. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. <laughs> no, no. But he, he's, he's sitting there holding the beer up to his face, and he has to hold it in front of his mouth because he does not want to this man to see the grin he has on his face. Cause he realized he wasn't having a drink with Con Colic John Colicos. He was having a drink with core, the first Klingon. Wow. Was this after he had, he had appeared at DS nine? Uh, yeah, I believe probably. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they originally what wanted season, him. What season oh, of DS nine did he appear in? Uh, it was after Worf oh, yeah. was there. So four or five. Four, yeah, maybe? It, was, it was like the fifth season. Okay, thanks. Those are good. Ep- listening... Those are good episodes. Yeah, I'm listening to the DS9 uh, podcast with uh, on the Two True Freaks Ooh. Network, and we're up to season seven, but I joined late. So, listen to Ugh. the prophets: yeah. Paul Spataro, yeah. yeah. Andrew Leyland, J. David Weeder. Ugh. Who else is on that? There's this. Uh, Doctor Bill. Doctor Bill's Bill, on there. Yeah. And David. Uh, that that is a good show. That is a fun show. Well, they wanted Core to come back on Day of the Dove, but he, the actor was out of the country, and they wouldn't let him come back for a week to film, so that they brought in Michael... Uh, and Sarah. And Sarah. Yes. Who, and oh, so that's yeah. how we got Kang. So at least we get the three there, of course. Those are the two good ones. And William... Um, uh, Campbell. William Campbell as... Uh, uh, what's his... Koloth. Col- uh, Koloth. In Trouble oh. with Tribbles, he's not really... He's not really a threat there, but and he doesn't have the, that swarthy makeup on. But apparently, yeah, some, I, that was that was Colicos's idea to kind of make them look a little kind of Genghis Khan like. Yeah, definitely. Now, do you guys want to take a look at the imagery of this? Is there was there anything in there that you wanted to comment on that was unusual or or crazy that that stood out to you? I thought the agony boost scene was that successful because you could tell he took Kirk's body and he, he, that was from Charlie X. Uh, yeah. And he took, I don't know where the head's from, but he took the head is obviously Photoshopped on there. So that's not entirely successful, but, uh, that's only where he kind of stood out other than, um, there were times when Spock looked green. His skin pallor was green. Uh, page is that six. At the bottom, there's two panels of him there, and he just looks like like he's about to throw up because he's so green. <laughs> yeah, he is. Well, there were times when you would see both of them together, and their tunics didn't quite match color. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if that's just from him pulling from different seasons. And but yeah. I was I was wondering, was there any of the imagery that that really looked cool? You know, beyond the 
I mean, the, the explosions that they that he did were really interesting, but they looked like they were more gas or oxygen-laden explosions. Like when the Klingon vessel blew up. It's all that propane they were hoarding on board. Yeah. Um. And for for some reason, Byrne really liked using the bakum yeah. as the standard explosion sound effect or, 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 or uh, hit. I, I like the, the way that he found a way to show the Klingon ship to cloaking. I mean, that, that is a really hard thing to pull off with still images without it yeah. looking hokey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I thought that one, that was good. But uh, otherwise, you know, not, there's not too much. <laughs> this, is a, this is a hard one because, you know, Tim's like, oh, I wonder why haven't, we haven't covered more of these. It's hard in that most of the discussion focuses on the writing and the story itself. Mm-hmm. You know, because Burns not drawing these, you know, you can't really pull something out and say like, oh my gosh, you know, like well, that is amazing. But there are areas where where you can see where he's created something, um, like the 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 page thirty six where the the Klingon ship is, you know, it's got stuff coming out of it everywhere, and that's definitely something he's animated and created himself, mm-hmm. like in Photoshop or even Paint where he's kind of spotted the image and it's a little, you know, that that's jarring. That's a little unusual. Yeah. It doesn't look like the, cause he later has the fire is actually probably a, a, in Photoshop, you can create an image and create a brush out of an image and then you can just paint whatever you wanted to. So he's probably created a fire um, brush. Uh, and that doesn't look like quite like fire. Uh, mm-hmm. I did say the interior, the, the, the interior of the, the, uh, Klingon, the ship. Klingon ship looks nice. I mean, he's taken some cues, I guess, because we never saw that in. Well, the bridge in is right. It looks like the Enterprise bridge just it turned green with other, you know, background designs thrown thrown in for good measure. It yeah. looks very similar to the to the Enterprise bridge, um, but the transporter room is totally, you know, it's got a very alien appearance to it and of course with everything being in in that green it, it makes me want to drink another mountain dew <laughs> excuse me well, i think um, he's taking some clues from uh yeah you're, you're right i never realized the bridge does look uh, a lot like the interval that makes sense but well i think it's because of the enterprise door and i didn't even notice as you know rereading it again the door is right behind mirror universe kirk yeah the enterprise door he didn't even bother <laughs> to recolor it oops um I think he's taking maybe some... they all, maybe they all get their their doors from the same place. One of the things that I liked, and it's not about the pictures themselves, but it was just how when uh, Mirror Spock was mind melding with um, Moreau, how as as he started going into the mind meld, the thought bubble of her or the uh, the voice bubble kind of was like fading along with it so it kind of showed you that they were moving into that mind meld and I thought that was a cool effect. It was ripped and that, yeah. that made me think of um, Star Trek 6 which you know that was you know the scene where, where Spock does the mind meld with uh, Valeris in Star Trek 6 it was probably the most disturbing scene in that entire movie Yeah, and you know seeing it here you know it, it just brought me back to that but, well, uh, it's it's if you think about it, even from watching Mirror Mirror, this this the Mirror Spock is not greatly different from Prime Spock. He's just this is you know he's logical. This is how this universe works. 
I'm mm-hmm. gonna I'm gonna work within the parameters that it that it, it you know it, it provides it provides. So I'm gonna I'm gonna basically be me, and that's when you know Kirk is in the great speech of you know I you know I tell you your your empire is illogical and it can't stand, and you're illogical for being a part of it. So you need to you know you know take control and make some changes. Uh, so the the forcing of the mind meld. Granted, you you said uh, Brian in Star Trek Six, he did it. Of course, those are some dire circumstances here he um and he does it here and he does it to scott he kind of forcibly um it's, it's, it's yeah he uh he basically is sifting information out of his head yeah uh, you don't see out. the horror on his face that you saw and and yeah because you could um, see on, on spock's face he was in in star trek 6 he was genuinely affected by what he was doing yeah uh, whether it was a board or just horrified i don't know well it was his it was you know she was a colleague of his and so he felt kind of I she was his protege. Yeah, yeah, he felt betrayed, and and then of course he, you know, as a Vulcan, he probably thought, you know, why are you doing this? But should uh, have been Savic. Should have been Savic. Uh, that was the original plan. But again, you know, I could be wrong. This just plans. an opinion. <laughs> yep. So since we're in Star Trek cast, um, do you think that when Kirstie Alley was not available or? whatever, I can't remember the exact story, to continue Savick, and she was fantastic. Do you think they should have just created a different character for Robin Curtis rather than have her try to assume the Savick role? Um, I, I, I don't, I think you would have done the story disservice that way. And, and I mean, you know, Kirstie Alley's own problems are, are a uh, matter of public lore <laughs> at this point, um, mm-hmm. where she was having, you know, issues with, you know, Addiction, certain things. Yeah. And but she also, you know, her ego had gotten the better of her, yes. too. And so she was asking for more money, money than Shatner. You know, she was asking for more money than Shatner. And you don't do that in that kind of. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't hear of. that. Part of it. I heard yeah. she had asked for a, I, I heard she had asked for a big bump in her her salary to go to the second, you know, to, to reprise the role. And that's why they said, no, well, we're going to we'll just recast you. But I, I think I agree with Brian that if you put a different character, then you have to explain why that character's there, why uh, Savick's not there, why she would have any kind of, um, of course they kind of, in, in three, they kind of hint that she's got kind of a, not a, like a romantic, but some kind of relationship with David. And yet they never really interacted in Star Trek two. But they teamed that, up well, in three. There, there was a cut scene in Star Trek Two where they introduced the two of them. Hmm. Uh, if you look around, you can find stills of it. I think Byrne actually used utilized that for something. <clears throat> um, but uh, yeah, and then of course they, uh, if you read some of the other things, you find out that the reason why she stayed on Vulcan in Star Trek Four is that she was pregnant with Spock's child. Yeah, I knew that. Was... Having to alleviate the Pon Far on the Genesis planet. Yeah, and I think that's carried out in a book yeah well somebody, i mean there's plenty there's plenty of books about spock's children you know yeah. there's zahn and yesterday's child or is that right yesterday no not yesterday's child yesterday's son. i don't remember yesterday's yesterday's son, son. Yeah, yeah ac crispin yeah wrote um wrote a couple of those books where zahn somehow makes it to the uh modern star trek yeah. time what do you guys think of dear old dad uh <laughs> uh i don't think burn would do this but not go to but what if he he incorporated some of the films 
and maybe he doesn't can't get the rights to the, the film images, but you know, it, it had to be some kind of a time travel thing. So maybe young Kirk meets old Kirk, or young Spock meets old Spock, or something like that, so that he. Well, I think I think Brian talked about that in one of the episodes that, you know, he, it's been, I don't want to say easy for him, but he's been able to get the rights to quite a bit. But there are, I think, episodes and images that he can't use. I think Brian ran that down yeah. before. Yeah, I mean, because, well, I mean, that was specific to the Harry Mudd character of Roger Carmel and the fact that, That's you right. know, he died uh, before they started really negotiating character likeness rights. And the thing is, he didn't have any heirs. He doesn't have an estate per se. So I don't understand why Byrne couldn't use him. Uh, he he had no children or anything. So if anything, you know, there's a law firm someplace that I guess says they own it and they probably would want to charge too much. But, you know, like Terry Garr also, you know, she won't allow her rights uh, likeness to be used for the, um, if he wanted to do an assignment or thing, he wouldn't be able to use her. But if he's pulling, I don't think he has to have the, obviously I don't think he's using, if he's using clips from the show, I don't think he has to have the, because the, that's owned by, he, he was not able to use any of Roger Carmel's face shots. If you look in, in the ones, like the story that we did was one where he'd actually put Kirk's face on Harry Mudd's body as an explanation of why, you know, Harry Mudd didn't look like Harry Mudd. Hmm. There's, um, it, it all depends on how the actors have written their, their contracts yeah. for uh, reuse going forward. And at the, you know, they may have, like people will say, well, they they show them in the reruns. Well, the contracts may be that you can use, you can do reruns, but any other things have to be renegotiated, or it doesn't include likenesses for every other type of medium in use. So right. uh, it all depends on how the contracts were written. So there may yeah. be a lot of They're... things like that. And yeah, um, actors own their their likenesses for certain things, and uh, that's why you can't make action figures of a specific act, uh, likeness unless you get permission from the person as well as the property owner. Here's a good example. If y'all are a fan of Star Blazers or Space Battleship Yamato, uh, they made a live action movie back in 2010. And the guy playing the uh, what we would know as a wild star character was a, a popular rock star or singer in Japan. And he had it in his contract that he could not be dubbed by anybody else but he himself doesn't speak english so they, they they basically couldn't do an english dub of his uh of his character and you know the american lawyers found a way around it to uh finally get a version put here in the united states but it took like six seven years but i mean they'll put in some crazy stuff yeah i'm sure that, that if you the, the book that I referenced earlier, the, the 50 year mission, they talk a lot about Shatner and Nimoy's, um, <clears throat> cause they were all fighting for, they didn't get a lot of residuals, I think from the show. And then they were, they weren't getting a lot of the, uh, piece of the, uh, the merchandising because they were using their, their, their faces and likenesses on <clears throat> ads and things like that. And they weren't getting any of that money for it. So, uh, Nimoy really fought for that. I think that's kind of what brought him, back to the motion picture because they finally settled uh for i guess that back, shows the back, um, back the, dis the disposable mentality that people had back then because you know you, you, you 
you hear about like Tina Louise from Gilligan's Island and <laughs> all of those actors. I mean, they their contracts were you get paid for this work and airing plus one or two reruns. They didn't expect them to be rerun for 50 years yeah. or the merchandising. So it just wasn't in their contract. So the studios had them over barrels, you know, much like the comic book industry. Oh, hey, here's oh, your man. page rate, you know. Um, Jerry Siegel, we just paid you, you know, $50,000 for Superman. Um, and then it blows into this huge thing. And Jerry's like, him oh, can I have some of that? Uh, no, man, this is our contract. You they paid him $170 for Superman. How the, much? The two, the, she, Siegel and Schuster got $170 oh, for the character okay. Superman originally. Wow. And of course, uh, Neil Adams got them uh, kind of a pension. Yeah. Where they were getting like twenty grand a year. Uh, for the rest of their lives after that, but they still basically both uh, well, died in poverty. And I'm sure that's, that's probably standard for uh, today's contracts. But even then, you don't know. You know to your point, you don't know if a, a show's going to be a hit or whatever. So they think they may say, "Well, we're not going to pay you any. You know, your royalties are only for so many reruns." And if yeah. it's a young struggling actor and you're like, "I need a job," I I'm going to I'm going to sign it. Yeah, on the table. Yeah, I, yeah. I got to pay my rent. Um, and it's not until later that that you're like, well, wait a minute, this became a huge hit. I, I want my, you know, I want my, um, you know, there's, there's the, the story well, what of, they're <clears throat> yeah, the story of, of Roddenberry and the, the, the book I referenced, it doesn't paint a great picture of Roddenberry, but he wrote the theme to Star Trek that Alexander Courage wrote. He wrote lyrics to it. So he could get credit. So he could get credit for it. He would get half of the royalties or half the pay, yeah. even though he knew they were never going to use the lyrics. He just well, did you it. can't, you cannot equate the lyrics to the music. There's, there's no way. I mean, if you were looking at it on sheet music, <clears throat> I don't know how it would really translate. Well, if you would like to, um... it was like a poem <laughs> that you would read. Yeah. But, but if you want to hear how the lyrics go, just listen to Andy Leyland over at Palace of Glittering Delights on one of his Star Trek episodes. He sings them along with this. The <laughs> oh, <song>. my God. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, man. I, I got to dig that one up. I forgot about that. And he because he, I was just listening to him last weekend on one of those episodes and I was like, OK, and he's doing all of this. And it's like Star Trek. Let's go watch Star Trek or something like that. And I was like he's just making this stuff up. And he's like, no, these are really the lyrics. I'm like, oh my gosh, okay. <laughs> Man. Fun, fun. Crazy. Crazy. Palace, Palace of Glittering Delights. I think I, you guys mentioned it on here. Yeah, since, that, that yeah. is one of my favorite podcasts <laughs> on, on the on, in, on, of all time. It's one of my favorite shows. Andrew could uh, read the phone book, though, and I'd find it interesting. He's uh, definitely got a great style and, and a way of doing things and uh, just uh, love that show beyond belief. It's well produced. It, and it's, hey, Kirk. And it's usually Kirk, short. Hold Kirk. on, Kirk. Are you there? Yes, just got back on. You're, you're, we can barely hear you. Can't hear you at all now. <clears throat> but, um, man. Uh, no, I, again, you know, going back to you know what we're looking at here, uh, I, I think that what he's created is something that other people could do for other shows and other other bits. As far as doing movie stuff, though, though the one problem that you run into 
is that there are only a few movies. I mean, basically seven movies that, that, that really make use of the original series characters. And as a result, you're going to have limited. You're limited. Yeah. And I think that to, to work with. I wonder if that's why he didn't spend more time in the mirror universe in this, because you're, you've only got images you can really kind of pull from one episode as opposed to all 79. So exactly. And, and I mean, so, you know, the, the regular characters, he can find different ways of manipulating them. And, you know, he put Spock in a regular shirt and, you know, for a while even took off the beard. I did mm-hmm. kind of think the growing back of the beard was kind of that was, silly. That was silly. Kind of... <laughs> you, that okay, was... if, if they got a device that's going to grow hair, I'm sorry. Every bald man in the universe is going to want to use it. Kirk's bodyguard in the mirror universe, he's going to want that. Uh, <laughs> right. And, well, you know, and I think the trouble with the movies, too, is, you know, their outfits change every mm-hmm. movie. Yeah. You know, they have different uniforms. Yeah. He, so, yeah. And you know, he may really... not, I don't know how he feels about the movies. He may not like them. So he maybe he just wants the, uh, he just likes the series. Uh, another thing I'll give him credit for, he doesn't, he doesn't try to like rewrite or retcon a bunch of stuff. He's not trying to change what we already know as, as Trek, you know, so he's not trying to, you know, he doesn't do anything that's going to really upset anybody who's into continuity he's not trying to uh you know i try put trying to fix things right he's not trying to fix things or change something or he just this is just him what happened when you know the show ended and just tell us that so yeah well uh, every one of these uh every one of the issues is available in in so many different ways that you can buy the original book or you can get it digitally in a number of uh, of, of methods uh, easily found on Amazon and uh, uh, you know as far as a, a, a comicsology and a Kindle read your favorite your favorite local comic book shop yeah yep. now when I read when I read these I would go on to YouTube and I YouTube and I would bring up uh, Star Trek TOS soundtrack and I would just <laughs> have it play a, a, a bunch of those and there, you know just it, it plays all the various music, and it was amazing how well it worked alongside of it. So uh, that that it just enhanced the the reading experience. Well, we'll see if we get any more of these. I did go and do a little quick research. So uh, when this debuted, uh, as we've talked about it, it came out in the Star Trek Annual uh, in the first uh, episode. I'm going to call it episode because that's essentially what it is. Uh, Strange New Worlds did go to multiple printings, and and I can't find exact sales figures on it, but what I did find was when it was greenlit and went into its own title, the first issue sold around 10,000 plus copies, uh, but by the end of the run, so issue 22, um, it was down to 3,500, uh, give or take, uh-huh. copies yeah. sold into comic shops. So, I mean, not uncommon for, uh, you know, the numbers to go down for any series as it goes on. Yeah. Uh, you know, kind of odd for this one since it wasn't, uh, you know, uh, as we've talked about, it was a bi-monthly release. So it's not like you're getting inundated every month with another issue or in some cases mm-hmm. like, you know, twice a month. Uh, they, as we've stated, they were expensive, you know, at seven ninety nine to Burns credit. He didn't raise that price from, 2014 to 2018 it stayed mm-hmm. the same price for the whole run 799 so i don't know how much by the time you get down to a 3500 print run 
you know, our sales into comic stores. And that's the best data we have. You know, a, a, uh, that number doesn't reflect actual sales. I have to believe, as someone who does ordering for stuff like this, that you're not ordering a whole bunch of shelf copies, you know, at eight bucks a pop, maybe one or two at yeah, most. So know. you're, you're <clears throat> mostly just going to get people who, you know, have them on their pull list. Well, right. And I guess that helps as a, as a store owner, I guess it helps because you know, that's kind of a guaranteed sale, but what, um, what is the, with your inside, uh, inside track there, David, what is the normal margin on a comic book? Like what's the well, it all depend- Yeah, it all depends on, on how, you know, how much the store orders. There's different discount tiers. Um, you know, some of the, you know, it starts at around 30 to 35% off cover and goes up to uh, 60 something. But it, it also depends on the publisher. Not every publisher has the same level of discounts, but I'd say an average store is getting between 53 and 57% off cover price. So roughly they're paying half what the books. Yeah. So, so that's not a, I mean, I guess that's not a bad margin if you're, if you're selling it then for full price. No. And this is where I could put my wonk hat on and say, yeah, you get it for half price, but then you, you're, you're paying full boat shipping. So from diamond to you. Um, you know, which these books are not light, mm-hmm. by the way. They probably come in at about a pound, um, you know, at 14, 15 ounces. So you gotta you got to add a little bit of your shipping cost on to, you know, sprinkle that around every comic or trade you ordered. Um, but, yeah, I mean, th- these would be good profit margin books, you know, compared to, let's say, a regular, you know, comic issue of uh, three ninety nine. You know, you're buying it for two, you know, it, it retails at four, but nobody wants to pay retail for a comic book, right? So you're giving some discount. Uh, you know, most stores, you know, between 10 and 20%, you know, if they're really generous. Uh, you know, so you're making a buck and change off, off each one at that. So it's in the quarter bin. <laughs> exactly. These will never wind up in the quarter bin, though. I mean, you know. No. But, you know, the, I, I, I don't think that... I don't think that when he put these out there, he was sitting there expecting massive sales or anything. And I don't think IDW, you know, did that either. I mean, IDW has never been what you would call the most successful company uh, when it comes to putting all this stuff out. They put out so much licensed material, but they don't advertise it. They, you know, I mean, they do advertise it within the, the, the comic book shops and that. But when you're talking about, you know, the Indiana Jones series, Buffy series, Star Trek, Star Wars, there, you know, it should be, you know, areas to advertise these things outside of the direct market to, to, you know, get people interested in all this. You know, as a Star Trek fan, when I'm sitting there looking at the various sites and stuff, not a word about this yeah. was out there for it. You know, there was nothing to, to tell the, the people. And every time, you know, we post something about, you know, like when we did these episodes, I would go into the Star Trek forums that are on Facebook and I would post, you know, the thing in there and someone would go, what is this? You know, and right. you sit there and all of a sudden you'd start a huge, you know, massive thing with people. And then, of course, they're all going out wanting to buy it. They can't find the the, the physical copies easily. Right. I mean, if they go to their LCS, they have a hard time with it, whereas they can find it on Amazon and other places uh, in digital. But it's always uh, an eye opener when when they respond to that, because they're just like, where did this come from? I've never heard of this. 
Yeah, and, and, and you know, uh, that go, that holds true for almost any of the comic publishers, whether you're the juggernauts like Marvel or DC. There's not a whole lot of, you know, cross-media outreach, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as, as we know from using Facebook, um, you know, there's sometimes a creep factor of, you look something up on your phone and, you know, in your browser, and then the next time you're on Facebook, right, you see an ad for something that's awfully similar to what you looked up. Mm-hmm. You would think that that would be tied in some way to, to some of this stuff that we're talking about, right? You know, like, hey. But you you've got to be actively trying to sell it. Exactly. And you've, got, you've got to work with, 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 with Facebook and with other things to get your material within their algorithms to, to be used. And that costs money. I mean, it's yeah, it, it's still spending money, and that's where companies like IDW don't apparently, you know, they don't have that kind of marketing department. But none we of them, know, none yeah. of them do that really. You know, for printed media, you know, we we know the movies and the TV shows get you know seemingly unlimited budgets, and 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 I think we talked about this uh, many times. People just don't read anymore. They just don't read and. You know, I, I wasn't on for the uh, post-Halloween episode, but uh, this year was, I think I gave out about 150 comic books, mm-hmm. you know, and, and kids still get excited about them, um, you know, especially some of the stuff, well, because of COVID, right, we we uh, pre-made up the bags this year, so rather than have the kids go through and, you know, pick out comics that they wanted... Um, we pre-made bags, so I put three comics in each bag along with uh, the candy, and my kids helped put them together. And kids were still excited. Like, the little girls grabbed the, you know, the bundle that had the My Little Pony comic in it. You know, uh, a lot of the boys grabbed, you know, the Batman and uh, the Star Wars Clone Wars comic that I had in, in one of the bundles. So, again, if it's put in front of kids, they'll read, you know, <laughs> but right. as a general rule... Parents aren't seeking it out. Uh, us as adults are not taking time to sit down either, you know, except for maybe in our circles, right, where we're talking about comic books and and uh, different novels. Kids aren't seeing adults reading either. So no, they, they see them on their phone or they yep. see them on their tablet. Yeah. Um, you know, and some people do read a lot on their tablets, but and a lot of it's digital. But, uh, you know, the, the, the rise of, like, Harry Potter was kind of what got, you know, sparked i think kind of the young adult books that brought right. people into reading again you know harry potter then some of the, the whole slew of all those young adult type um series twilight, twilight. well yeah i guess twilight could be for teens i guess but uh, yeah. that kind of stuff that uh but i think it's it's to your point they don't ever i mean when's the last time you remember you, you don't see anything in broadcast media for comics ever no. i don't ever i mean it was mostly through you know, back before they had internet, it was like Wizard or, um, you know, comic magazines or it was just posters in your comic store because you were there every week and talking to the owner or talking to other people and you would, or ads of the books themselves. Hey, this is coming right. up. That kind of thing. So, But that's because everybody thinks the comic industry is dying and this last week's events lend credence to that. Jeff Johns has left DC for, uh, yeah, left John for, is it IDW? That he went to, I did not hear and, that. And uh, that DC's got a new uh, editor in chief, and I don't remember her name, but uh, the the idea is that they're going to dissolve the comic, the the the, the comic book uh, side of things. 
they're going to maintain the characters in one way or another, but uh, it, it, they may stop making comics altogether. Again, this is all rumored conjecture uh, of just uh, other podcasters and other writers. So yeah, uh, we're would, still waiting to hear what's going to come of that. Batman is still one of the top selling comic books every month. I mean, you know, hundred thousand issues or, you know, copies, um, you know, DC has a lot of problems, you know, uh, just like every other company. And we could have a whole discussion and maybe we should at some point, you know, because we are covering the medium about, you know, some of the challenges that are out there, other than the fact that people just aren't reading. Again, you know, all of this, all of this is, is simply because, the people that work within the comic industry do not bother to talk to marketing. They don't because the, the, the thing that they would tell them is that you're going to have to. And again, I always say this, you have to spend money to make money to get the comic books back into the public eye. They've got to be visible other than the direct market shops, the direct market shops, you know, help the industry, but it's killing the industry. Now you, you need to get them into those big box stores. You need to get them, they're at the, the impulse section so that when a mother's got her kid in a shopping cart and they're you know going up and down, the kids go, Mom, I want. And that'll keep the kid quiet while they sit there and go through the, shop, the well, store. I, I think uh, something else could help is let's look at price points. Let's go yeah. back to a cheaper paper or a cheaper process and let's get the book prices down because that's one it, reason it, I kind of stopped buying those. That won't help. They, they, they've already said that it doesn't matter what they printed on. The, the cost of printing is still going to be that much. Well, they're going to have to do something because I think five bucks a pop, who can, you know, it's well, not. A... Again, you know, we, we've talked about it in the past, like the flashback books, the the, the facsimile copies are the selling for believers. a buck, are selling for a dollar, which means that, you know, they're able to produce them for a lower price. They're just adding value to it because of the creation of it. That's that's going on with the new books, and David, yeah, I, I think, mean, you you can yeah, speak to that some, better than I could. Yeah, some of those true believers, as I heard Kirk in the background, the true believers ones are your dollar copies. Mm-hmm. I think those are lost leaders for someone like Marvel, or you know, DC even did a few of them, like they did a reprinting of uh, Batman Adventures number twelve, you know, the first appearance of Harley Quinn, which mm-hmm. you know, if you're not keeping tabs on that, is an extremely expensive book, yeah, you know, thousands for you know, a high grade copy, um, out of, out of the most collector's hands. Um, I think they're loss leaders because typically what you see with Marvel is it's tying into some upcoming, uh, you know, whether it's a media property or it's a new comic. Yeah. Right. And so they're, they're tying it back to like, Oh, well, you know, Gamora is going to get her own spinoff series. So we did a true believers, you know, Gamora's first appearance. Yeah. Uh, you know, I can, it's advertising for them. It is, you know, and, and in most cases, outside of, you know, some really important issues like, um, uh, well, they did a reprinting of, and this was a facsimile edition, which those are not a dollar. Those are typically, you know, three ninety nine or four ninety nine, depending on how big they are, um, of Hulk 181, right? Which, mm-hmm. if you're a big Hulk collector... I mean, even even a trash book that like a dog is pissed on is like a hundred dollars. You're just not going to find it. Hmm. Um, you know, it they they become special because that for that collector or, or someone like me that has never read a printed copy of that book, you know, and held it 
you know, that, that to me is, is worthwhile. And, and there's a whole bunch of other ones that fall into that. The rest of them, uh, uh, for the most part are just who, who cares? But honestly. what you're, what you're saying though, is that by calling them loss leaders, you're saying that they're losing money by printing these books and putting them out for, for a sure. buck. Yeah. For they're sure. hope they're, they're hoping they're going to, you know, it's, you say that at grocery stores, you sell something really yep. cheap, yeah. get somebody in to buy other stuff. And, and, so. and again, that, that begs the question we've got over 50 years of, of history of these characters that are, you know, that they could reprint and put out there at the lower cost just to bring the people in. It doesn't necessarily have to be new media that uh, that could save the industry. Well, the challenge you get into with that and part of the reason why I was never a huge fan of those true believers, um, unless, again, they're, you know, issues that are so unattainable. Right, that that becomes you know for somebody like me that collects Amazing Spider-Man too. There's been some facsimile editions and True Believers that have helped me at least check the box, right? To say I have that issue. <laughs> you know, it's not the original one, but that's, a, that's, what, Marvel, that's what Marvel that's Tales cool. is for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, the the trouble I have is what you're going to get in that True Believer or that facsimile edition is not the character that they're writing now. So even as a loss leader, I have a hard time with it uh, just as a, well, two reasons. One, uh, I picked on, you know, Gamora, but let's just take the Hulk one. The Hulk character that you see, or, uh, you know, the Wolverine character that you see in Hulk 181 is not the same Wolverine that's being written right now in the current series of X-Men or even Wolverine uh, Red, White, what is it, Red or Black, White? White, Black, and Blood, or something like that. It's another kind of miniseries for Wolverine. Not the same character. He's and it's not the one in the films, either. And it's not the one in the films, yeah. So, you know, I, I question, in some cases, like, what's what's the value here? You know, if someone, you know, let's go back to that Gamora, because they did a whole bunch of these when, you know, the, um, they were uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, had come out as a movie, and then there was a new uh, Bendis series that was uh, starting you know, they re-released all these and, you know, as someone who, you know, picked out those, you know, for example, Rocket Raccoon issues, uh, as a, as a kid, that Rocket Raccoon, um, is not the same Rocket Raccoon that you get today. Right. You know, same with the Gamora is not the same Gamora. Star-Lord is not the same Star-Lord. So I just kind of question why, why do it? And then two, from a retailer's perspective, it's a dollar book. You know, I'm get, I'm gonna get it for what forty five cents. I still got to pay shipping on it. I still got to take time, so you know, your, to bag. Your profit's like could be that much on it. No, like ten cents, twenty cents. So well, I, 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 but I, I'm sure their pitch to you is like, yeah, if they're gonna come in and buy this dollar book. They're gonna go over and buy two or three four dollar books. So yeah, that's that the, you hope. You hope. hope. Yeah. I think on a on a on a maybe a lesser level, it's it, it may have to do with. I don't want to say quality, but the image. I mean, if you're reading current comics and they're they're produced, you know, they're slick and they've got a lot of uh, effects on them, and you know, they look. Um, it's like what not what people who don't want to watch original track because oh, it looks cheesy. The sets look right. terrible. It looks cheesy. I'm not going to watch it. I'm not going to read a comic from the '60s because look, it doesn't look like the stuff I'm reading now. That so that may be another. I mean maybe more of a subconscious that the quality's not there and they don't want to read it for that reason. Yeah. Again, this gets back all back into the, the whole issue of, 
you know, people just aren't reading as much. There's a lot out there, right? You know, like we could say, oh, you you, you don't think Star Trek, um, you know, uh, New Visions is very good? Why don't you go read some gold key Star Trek from the 70s? <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> And you yeah. can see what a what a uh, dumpster fire those are. Talking about cotton. Oh, we loved them. We <laughs> ate them up when we could. <laughs> I I have the hardcover collections, by the way. I can mm. bar- I barely got through the first volume because I, I question whether the people that were even writing and drawing these had ever seen the show. Well, I think no, I think they didn't. They didn't, hit, and they were. That's why you see fl- <laughs> fire coming out of the back of the nacelles. So that's right. <laughs> well. On the facsimile editions, I don't have a lot of them, but uh, I do like them. Uh, when the uh, DC uh, Secret Origin 17 came out, along with Huntress, I was thrilled to see that. I have the original, but I wanted a nice new copy of it, so I I uh, bu- bugged my, my LCS. I'm like, do you have this? And they're like, no, we didn't get it. I'm like, are you serious? Come on. And they're like, well... Okay, we're gonna order some, and we should have them next week. And like three weeks later, they're like, "Hey, dude, we got it in." I'm like, "I'm driving up there," and, and uh, this this shop that had it was is like uh, 30 miles away, so I had to drive all the way up there to get it, and it was wow. really worth it. I loved it; it was great. And I got the uh, Giant Size X Men number one facsimile edition, which was really cool. And uh, there's a couple of others I'm eyeing. Um, uh, David, I might hit you up to see if you have a copy of one, but um, otherwise, um, yeah, they're, I like the facsimile editions. But then again, I'm, I'm, I'm and, purpose- and, they're, and they're a totally different animal compared to the the True Believers or the the DC Dollar Books. You know, oh, that- I like the True Believer ones too, just for the fact that now I have uh, like a yeah a, a a version of like say a comic that when you have the original. No matter how well you take care of them, the pages are just the the colors are fading. They're they're newsprint. It's nice to have them on this kind of paper. So I I, I don't mind those either. I bought a whole bunch of those, and I'm like, oh, these are cool. So <laughs> um, they're just fun to have as reading, and I'm I'm enjoying them. So they're not lost on me. But uh, no, and then the facsimile editions, like I said, they're they're totally different animal because yeah. they, they reprint the book exactly as it was. Yeah, I like so, that. It really is a different experience. It, it it's turning the clock back, and like I said, you know, with the Hulk 181, you get a facsimile edition of Hulk 181. It's like you're reading the exact comic that came off the stands, mm-hmm. ads and all. That's I what's think. nice about the 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 DVDs and the CDs that they put out for a while, where they collected like 500 issues. They were actual scans of the actual book, so you kind of got to see what the the letters pages were the ads and all that kind of yeah. stuff. You get to see, you know, the mistakes that they've later will correct it in a, in a, in a reprint and a recolor. Um, it's not the same as having it in your hand, but you know, a lot of times if I buy an older issue, that's, a, you know, maybe cost me a little bit. I won't necessarily read it. I may yeah. open it up and thumb through it. Cause I want to, but if I'm going to read the story, I'm going to read a digital or some other copy. So I don't mess up the one I just bought so I can bag it and just put it away. But, and there's a little sadness to that, right? <laughs> like yeah, you get little. excited because you got it, you know, and and now you can put it in your collection, right? You check the box, but it's like, oh, and for I really most, want to read this. Most of my part, my collection, I'm I'm not as long as the covers on it and it doesn't look like it's falling apart. I don't really care if it's a if it's a nine or a nine point eight. I don't have to have a perfect copy of something. Um, I just want to be able to have. You know, to me, it's more about I want to read the original issue when it came out in yeah. my collection if I can get it. 
Yeah, this is a this is a big rabbit hole, but I, I agree yeah. with you. You know, I have a lot of you know detective and Batman issues that you know are uh, in the low numbers, but they're they're tattered, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, they've been read and read and read and read and read. I I flip through them to make sure they're complete, and then after that, they go in the bag, right? Because it's like, okay, I'm not touching this thing anymore because yeah. one of these times I'm going to pull the comic out and it's just going to burst into flames, and I'm just going to be left <laughs> with a little tiny dust pile. Uh, you know, trust me there's books that i've gotten in collections that are you know from the 30s and 40s and just turning the cover yeah it's so brittle it just falls apart yep mm -hmm. they wow. fall apart so you, you yeah i mean some of this older paper that nobody took care of right that was just sitting in a box somewhere i mean it's no joke i mean you look at it and then you know you pick it up and the the whole going into dust that's mainly the covers, but uh, you know the paper too can get very brittle, and you're doing more damage to it. It's like you know, that, trying to. It's like that it. scene in Time Machine when Rod Taylor picks up that book and it just crumbles in his hand. <laughs> <laughs> I, before I forget, the other research I did was I had to go back and see when the last time um, New Visions was covered, and the first time was on April seventh, twenty sixteen. That's where you covered the Star Trek. Uh, that one was titled Star, Star Trek Special Number One. And that was that annual, The Strange New Worlds. And then the other time was uh, episode number 23, which is January of 2019. Uh, and you covered uh, issue number 22, which was the final issue. And I believe that one featured Gary Seven. Gary Seven, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we covered that kind of just as it came off. The, it just it just come out. We decided, let's go ahead and cover the last one. And I, if I remember, I don't think... I, I don't know about Brian, but I don't think I was too high on that story because of some of this stuff uh, Byrne had done. But uh, for the most part, these are pretty good. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I enjoyed all the one I've read, really. I mean, uh, like I said, there were some visual things, but uh, none of the stories really left me cold. No. Well, we have, uh, we've covered the book pretty thoroughly. We took a deep dive into uh, Saving Comics which is a, a discussion that seems to go round and round and round and nothing ever seems to come about it. You know, how many times have we talked about that in this show? Um, but anybody got anything final on uh, The Mere Cracked? Nope. nope. Yeah. I just I thought it was enjoyable. Um, yeah, I, I love the whole Mirror Universe concept, though. I, I think it's a really cool one to revisit. I don't want to have... a constant series of it but i like when we dip back and forth into them from time to time and i like the different ways that the different shows or the different writers have taken the concepts and and done this and uh it's i think it's just too bad we didn't get a voyager mirror universe that kind of would have been interesting uh, uh, as tough as uh uh, Captain Janeway was in our regular universe. It would have been really great to see her as a mirror, to see the mirror universe well, Janeway. The mirror she universe of her, like the mirror universe of her is probably a weakling. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, possibly, or yeah. even more more aggressive, more aggressive, or like Philippa, you know. Um, yeah. So I love. Uh, yeah, I like I like these little visits back and forth into them. It's 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 a lot of fun, and I I, I wasn't sure how to. Uh, how I was going to like this particular one, but I, I thought it was, I, I thought it was a nice, you know, uh, second, second seat, uh, second episode to 
that version. So it was yeah. great. Yeah, they if could. You, if you if you are fiending for some Star Trek Voyager Mirror Universe, there was a one shot put out, and I can't believe I forgot about this. But as soon as you brought it up again, there was a one shot put out. Uh, Star Trek Voyager Mirrors and Smoke. And it's written by Paul Aller and has J.K. Woodward art. And I'll give you the quick little uh, teaser. Stranded far from the ruins of the Terran Empire, Captain Janeway of the rebel ship Voyager has crowned herself Pirate Queen of the Delta, Delta Quadrant. Of course, the locals won't give in without a fight, especially not scavengers Neelix and Kess. And who is this apparent Terran who calls herself uh, Annika Hansen? Find out in Mirror Voyager's amazing comic book debut. Ooh, that sounds cool. Hmm. Before we jump off this, I meant to, I wrote this in my notes. What did you guys think of? Uh, I think Burn was a little over the top with it, but Scotty's colloquialisms in this. Did you catch at the beginning? He says "Hogmanay," if I'm pronouncing it right, which is Scottish for New Year, which is their Scottish New Year, because he says, "If we, you know, we're gonna fix this if it takes from now to Hogmanay." I missed. You it. sure he's not talking about the Hog's father? I, I I looked up the word exactly the way Burn spelled it, and it says it's their version of New Year's. So that makes sense. I mean, if it takes from now yeah. to Hogmanay, yeah, so now yeah, it's New Year's. I mean, it makes sense. But again, you know, the, that's you know, then there was the wee gremlin won't come out of hiding, and and well, later hmm. Scotty says when he's talking to Spock about transferring, he goes, "I don't care if we turn the the uh, ship into a freebooter, which is slang for I guess pirate ship." But that's, I mean, basically, you know, you're talking about the ISS Enterprise yeah, at that point. right, right. So it's, that makes is... sense. That makes sense as part of the story because right. they're talking about basically breaking off from the Empire. Right. And then towards the end, Prime Scotty calls Kor a Sassinda, Sassinda, if I'm pronouncing it right. And that's slang for English per an English person. <laughs> so he's kind of... <laughs> so he's... Um... Showing his prejudice towards the English, I guess, being a Scot. Well, yeah, I think because um, my husband and his uh, a friend of ours love to watch the um, Outlander series, and the, the lead character Jamie, who's Scott, calls his girlfriend, then wife, spoilers, uh, who is English, Sassanac. Sa okay, so it, it must be a version of that then. So that's probably for the male. That's the male yeah. version. Sassanac would be the. Uh, for the females. Interesting. I'm guessing. I don't, I don't I, know. I, I, and so please, language people, I'm just guessing <laughs> that that's what it's for. But <laughs> Yeah, accents don't bother me as long as it's not derogatory. And in all of those examples you gave, well, maybe, maybe not the last one, but it's not derogatory towards the character. It's meant to have us read the, the dialogue with their particular accent I mean, I right. can pick out some bad ones you know you talk about 60s and you know comic books 60s and 70s where you know it's specifically there and it's derogatory yeah. you know in nature to put that character down here I don't think it does right but I, I do know people that have problems with it you know that they'd rather just just be written you know the way that every other character you know like I joke we're gonna run out of periods and <laughs> and commas, you know, that he doesn't do that every time Kirk is talking. He doesn't put a comma, couple words, comma, couple words, comma. <laughs> yeah. 
You know, it, it's funny. I was sitting there, and there was a line that Scotty said that made me think of the recent J.J. Abrams movies, where Scotty says it's like trying to find two raisins in ten gallons of porridge. Yeah. And you would have figured, you know, so Simon Pegg, he would have said, you know, with chopsticks, uh, and it probably would have thrown something else in there to qualify it, making it even more difficult, you know, yeah. with chopsticks using a magnifying glass or. I, I didn't have a problem with them thinking they were slurs or they were derogatory. I just thought, I mean, Scotty did in the in the original series would throw in, you know, Dewan would put in his own, probably they were probably ad-libbed some little right. Scottish thing just to emphasize that this guy's Scottish. Uh, I just thought some of these were a little more obscure and the burn was a little more winky-winky with them, but they didn't, like, take me out of the story or anything. Yeah. I, just, I just wrote them down as I was reading it so I could look them, look them up later. Yeah, and as I understand it, James Doohan, the reason why he came up with the Scotty accent is he had spent a lot of time around the Scots. Uh, he's Canadian, actually. Mm-hmm. Well, this, and, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say the story that I've heard <clears throat> is that they offered him the part, and I've heard two versions. One, they said, do you have an engineer? And they said, no, well, you know, if you do, he needs to be a Scot. And later, other that he was offered the role as the engineer, and he said, well, if he's going to be an engineer, because he, he did voices. You know, he's always, he did radio and he yeah. did voices. He said, if he yeah. needs to be a Scott, because they're the best engineers. So that's how he kind of became Scotty. But... If it's hey, not Scottish, for crap. calling them by I their guess. proper. <laughs> thanks for calling them properly as a Scott or Scots, not as Scotch, because that's a drink. A Scott. <laughs> well, Probably people I... should tell us what they think about these. Scotch? Don't mind if I do. The Scotch you know, the... Excuse me. <laughs> I got one other James Dillon story. All right. I don't know if I'm still connected or not here. You're, yeah, we hear you, kind of. Yeah, you're a little low. I'll, I'll try to speak up then. James Dillon was a veteran of World War II, and if you ever notice his hands, he's missing a finger. Mm-hmm. Shot off at D-Day. Yeah, he got shot like six times total. Interesting. He... he... He is a tough guy, <laughs> definitely. Would you like the, the World War II version of 50 Cent? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that'd okay. be, that, that would be two bits, right? Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> well, we would love to hear what you all think about Star Trek New Visions, about the comic industry as a whole, about uh, you know accents being written in, in dialogue. And uh, you can get in contact with us at uh, gotta get burned at gmail.com. That's G O T T A G E T B Y R N E D at gmail.com. Or find us on Facebook. Just type in third degree burn, and, and you can find all of uh, us there, including, including Mirror Universe John, uh, where we post uh, new episodes up, and we'd love to hear your comments about what we're covering yeah i'd love to know if anybody has you know if they're being you know from seeing our posts on facebook and and through the show maybe they haven't read these and maybe they're discovering for the first time and maybe we've started something maybe they're gonna they're gonna go back and uh, read the rest and, and and i hope that we've introduced this to at least a few new people yeah and hey you know i also wanted to wish a a, a i don't i don't want to call it a get well but um a good health to john Byrne himself he, uh, this last week, uh, went in for a minor heart procedure. 
uh, finding out that his heart rhythm was was off and that he was only working at about 40% flow. Uh, and so they did basically a jump start to his heart to uh, help facilitate getting him back onto a normal beat. He, he went in to have a heart installed? <laughs> no, no, no. That's a There's joke. There's one already That's there. a joke. <laughs> Just teasing. Just teasing. Yeah. You're gonna get you're gonna get banned. You're gonna get the yeah. ban hammer. But no, no. But but you know he he wants you, everyone to know that he is doing fine and uh, he should have full results of how well this worked in about three weeks. But uh, that's just you know something that went on and it kind of made some of us hold our breath on uh, Tuesday as he went off and it was several hours before he responded how things went. So well, that's, you know, that's always good news. I mean, wish him the best of health, especially in, with all everything that's going on. We don't want anybody to. Uh, be under the weather yeah now as far as email goes um i don't know if you looked at the email box tim but we did get an email from bill dyer at foster's orders and he'd like to inquire about the giant hopper bins you sell so email availability and let him know the types of payment you accept hope to hear back from you asap oh i'm gonna have to get back to bill about those hoppers i meant to. yeah and then uh, Google Play uh, sent their annual notice about customer service and error resolution policy. And then somebody that also wants to work with us about effective advertising on our new website. Oh, so we can't. So we can't oh, say. And, so we can't claim we're not getting any emails. No, no. And then a Medicare plan. Welcome to 2021 open enrollment. Don't forget to do your open enrollment. And lastly, when I looked in the spam folder, we had over 400 emails. From the president, his wife, his son, Newt Gingrich, Mike Pence, and so many others, all Republicans, about this election. Is there an election coming Every up? day, every day, we, we get at least 30 emails from these guys. What are they doing with their free time? So are you saying we're a, uh, we're a red podcast? Or we well, got to flip go blue? The, it did go to the spam folder. So Yeah, Some, somebody put us on a mailing list. Yes. and red shirt. <laughs> That's right. Well, we know what happens to red shirts, don't we? All right. Who wants to? Uh, I think we have exhausted this uh, this issue, and uh, I think the nice this nice Sunday morning. Um, who would like to take us out? Or I'll take us out. I don't care. Uh, I think David should. He he just did the email blurb, and, and he did know. most of it. Yeah, yeah, he did a wonderful job at that. Let's let him continue. Just go to us one at a time so we can all say goodbye properly. Now, now the pressure's on. I can't handle it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's been another episode of Third Degree Burn. Hopefully you've enjoyed uh, your time with with all of us. Uh, we know we enjoy uh, you know hearing from you. So, uh, again, not, not a joke. You know, send us an email. Get, you know, get in touch with us on Facebook. You know, tell us we're wrong, tell us we're right, everything in between. And uh, with that, we will sign off for this week's episode and starting with Brian. Hey, have a great week. We'll be back next week. A lot of fun. John? Hey, enjoy the enjoy the new visions, man. This is a lot of fun. Thanks. Kirk? This is the good Kirk saying hailing frequencies are closed. <laughs> Love it. Mirror Universe, Tim? Uh, I was told there was going to be donuts. That's next week. Oh, man, I'm hungry now. <laughs> That'll do it.
and then you. You're, you're the last one, David. Uh, I've already said my piece. I didn't think yeah. you said goodbye with your name. Oh, my gosh. People don't know who you are. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> of course we kid. I am David Thompson signing us out for this Sunday. Bye, everybody. Adios. Change is inevitable, predictable, beneficial. Doesn't logic demand that you be a part of it? One man cannot summon the future. But one man can change the present. Be the captain of this enterprise, Mr. Spark. Find a logical reason for sparing the Hawkins and make it stick. Push till it gives. You can defend yourself better than any man in the fleet. Captain, get in the chamber! What about it, Spark? A man must also have the power. In my cabin is a device that will make you invincible. Indeed. What will it be? Past or future? Tyranny or freedom? It's up to you. It is time. In every revolution, there's one man with a vision. Captain Kirk, I shall consider it. Thanks for listening. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S.com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, and is part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and Burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gottagetburned at gmail.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D at gmail.com. Drop us a line and tell us how we're doing. Till next time, this has been Third Degree Burn. Some men aren't looking for anything logical, like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn.